Welcome to RetroIsland.com. The only site for everything retro. The Retro Unlimited Network for everything retro. RetroIsland.com. episode of Desert Island Games with me, your host, John, a.k.a. JL76 Gaming, and this is a special edition of Desert Island Games, which usually goes out on a Monday night, but tonight we have a special extra edition, edition, which is going to go out on Wednesday, and I'm very excited to introduce my special guest from Happy Console Gamer, it's Rob Mann. Welcome, Rob. Oh, cheers, mate. Thank you very much. I'm very, very excited to be here. I'm very very excited to have you as well. It's a great honour to have you on the show. Oh, jeez, it's my pleasure, absolutely. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know, but I'm sure most people do, <laughs> uh, but for anybody that's lived under a rock, um, Rob is part of a very successful YouTube channel called Happy Console Gamer. And it's got over 67,000 subscribers the last time I checked. Oh, geez, are we up that high now? Holy crap. Yeah, I think it was 67,400 and something. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's, that's awesome. Um, and you do that with a chap called Johnny Millennium. Yeah, that's correct. That's uh, It's mainly his channel. Um, he brought me on uh, in the early days just to uh, basically to talk about Mega Man for one episode. But our friendship has been so long-standing, and uh, our chemistry seems to work really well with the camera so we decided to keep trying doing it together and so whenever we can we do uh we we do episodes with the two of us and it just it just works well we're just both such passionate gamers that it just comes flying out yeah i was going to say you do you do certainly seem to have a a great chemistry on your videos yeah well we've been very lucky basically what you see on that camera is us i mean we used to talk like that all night when we were you know 20 year old irresponsible youths we used to just stay up all night drinking and playing games and we'd talk about the industry and we'd talk about all the great games and nostalgia and all that that's just us so basically we just put a camera on and off we go and and it's been successful and it's taking you to great heights on youtube <laughs> well uh, we we certainly appreciate that people like to watch it because uh at first we weren't really sure if it would catch on we we did it for ourselves to keep these memories but people really seem to have resonated with it which which is absolutely flattering for us like we really for everyone that does watch the show we appreciate it so much we really do the support and all of the kind words they 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 definitely are noticed uh you know and and for people that, that, you know, put me on Facebook or anywhere else, I do try to get back to everybody who gets in touch with me because if you've taken the time to, to talk to or write to me, I should take the time to get back to you. Yeah, that's my thoughts exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've only got about 70 subscribers, so it's a bit easier for me right enough to get back to everybody. But um, I'd imagine with 67,000 subscribers, it, it must be very time-consuming getting back to everyone. 
Well, I mostly uh, I don't do much with the Facebook channel. Johnny takes care of all of that, but I have a Facebook page, and I've got easily a couple thousand people, if not more, on there. And uh, but if people send me a message, I'll write back. It's uh, it's, it's my thing. Like I I just it, it sometimes takes me a while to respond, but I will always get back to them because again, it's it's very flattering that people want to say hi, and I love it because I think of them all as friends, not as as, as fans. They're all like-minded people, and we can just chat games. And you can even say hello to the trolls if you have any. (laughs) (laughs) We've been very fortunate in that. Now, that's something that's kind of interesting. Our subscriber levels aren't anywhere near as high as some other channels, but we have been blessed with one of the best communities surrounding us ever. Like we we don't get troll comments, we don't really get you know rude people or, or or negative people. We really seem to be surrounded by really positive, upbeat people who want to show passion for games and show how much they enjoy it and share that with other people. So that's a very very fortunate circumstance for us. Yeah, I must say, as small as my channel is, um, I was saying to Michael the NOD on his podcast, uh, I got gameplay. I've had nothing but positive feedback on mine. I've not had any negative comments whatsoever. Although I did say it's probably because nobody watches it. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't say that. It's uh, it's because when you put forward positivity and when you're a good person, you're a happy person, that's what comes back. If you're if you're not inflammatory about the way that you, you handle yourself, then you're not going to have inflammatory stuff come back. So if we all just you know have fun and smile and, and share it, We'll all be in good standing, mate. Yeah. So when was it you started again on the old YouTube? Oh, God, I think Johnny started the channel about... It was six years ago because we just had our sixth Christmas special, which is unbelievable. Um, and that was... Uh, back back then, there weren't a lot of video game channels, and the ones that were there were a lot of mainstream stuff. There wasn't a lot of the sort of retro gaming and a lot of the obscure niche stuff going on. But that's what... Johnny aimed to fix. Yeah, that's certainly awesome. Um, so, the idea behind th- this particular podcast, um, now you might not be familiar with this yourself because it's a it's a British, it's a UK um, show um, on Radio Two, uh, BBC Radio Two, and it's it's called Desert Island Discs. Um, so, um, famous people get invited on to to select their eight. Eight records that they would take onto a desert island, basically. So mm-hmm. I've changed it to games, retro games. So instead of taking a record on, you play on a, a retro game, or eight retro games as it is. So that's the idea. It's kind of a rip off, but no, that's cool. I actually really like that idea. That's a that's going to be a tough one to decide, though. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I really only started this off as a. It was going to be a one-off video on my channel um, but somebody gave me the idea to to do it as a kind of semi-regular uh, feature which I never really, really thought of doing before so um, so I think this is this would be the fourth edition um, not unless you count the one that I've done uh, I've done my own one um, so it's five really so I don't know so the other, the other thing um, later on in the show is um, you get to pick one book and one luxury item. Alrighty. And there's, well, there's something else that goes with that as well, but I'll, I can tell you about that later. 
But um, without further ado, uh, hopefully we can get into it. So now I'm going to do these in the order that I've I was given them. So I'm, I'm sure these are not in any particular order. Um, <laughs> but the first one on your list, and I guess anybody that would watch that watches your channel would probably guess this one. But it's um, Mega Man Two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't be without that game. Now that's uh, that would be on the Nintendo original Nintendo, yeah. Yeah, that was on the original Nintendo NES or Famicom in Japan as Rockman Two. Rockman Two. Ah. Now I believe that came out. Uh, forgive me if my research is crap here, but I think that came out uh, on July eleventh, nineteen eighty nine, in North America. Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I don't think we got it in the UK until 1991. Oh my, uh, that's, yeah. that's just not right. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the UK are always behind. On yeah, I've, I've heard about that over the years, and it's always been just mind-boggling to me. Like, I don't I don't understand that. I mean, as soon as it's out in North America, it, it should be out in Europe as well. I mean, it just makes sense. Yeah, well, American, America uh, and Japan got all the best stuff, <laughs> early. Yeah, so, although, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry? Oh, no, I was just going to say, although that is starting to shift, they are, we're actually starting to see, um, well, North America is sometimes actually getting stuff before Japan nowadays, which is kind of weird. Okay. Yeah, I believe the PlayStation 4 doesn't come out in Japan until... Maybe next month or something like that, or maybe even later. Yeah, that's right, and I don't think the Xbox One is even out there. I don't think there's plans to bring it out, are there? I'm not sure about Xbox One, but certainly I think PlayStation 4 doesn't come out maybe till next month or maybe March, which I found quite bizarre seeing as um, it's made in Japan. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh it's just sort of, I guess it's a sign of the way the game times are going because North America has become this just powerful juggernaut of a of a market. So, yeah. I guess they're starting to aim things towards there now. Anyway, I've got a bit a bit off topic. Um, so, oh yeah, sorry, but I tend to change. <laughs> I apologize. No, that was me. That was me. So, Mega Man Two. Um, so, what what is it about this game? Um, what what made you fall in love with this game in the first place? Well, the first game, Mega Man One was excellent, and I remember playing it was like a, a revelation to me. But, I mean, back in those days, you didn't often see sequels. There weren't, you know, like we have now, sequelitis, where there's just tons of them all over. And yeah. when Mega Man 2 first arrived, I, it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe there was a second one. I was super excited for that. And it just seemed to have been refined and distilled to, to perfection. Uh, it was the same jump-and-shoot gameplay, but the level design was just so good. And the music was excellent. The bosses were well thought out, and the sort of the, the the way that the weapons worked against each other, it was just such an excellently crafted game. It was just challenging enough without making it like you know controller throwing absolute furious anger play. Yeah. Uh, but it had a really good challenge, and then replayability was great because there were always little items that were sort up out of the way that were harder to get to, and and you had to try and figure out how to get them and sort of you know what order was the optimal to, to finish off all the bosses. So it, it's just, for me, it's my favorite game of all time, and it would definitely, if I was stuck on a desert island, I would have to have that game. Brilliant. Um, I believe there's actually a, 
uh, an iOS version of that, you know, an iPhone. Have, have you played that one? I have. Now, I find the controls on that viciously difficult when you're using them on screen. Yeah. Because it's just really, I don't know, I, I find that I have trouble playing through it. Um, my My eldest son has managed to finish off four of the Robot Masters on that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I can't even get past Airman with it. it, it I'm just, for that kind of controls, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I find the same. I, I'm, I've been playing the Grand Theft Auto games on iPad, and as good as they are, it, I just can't get used to the controls on the iPad. It's just, it seems a bit strange. Yeah, I'm thinking I might have to pick up one of those little controller cases that you can snap on the outside of the phone and see how that goes. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of them. They definitely look awesome. I actually used to have a, a Sony, I think it was called a Sony Xperia Play phone. So it, it was like a PlayStation phone. Did that one? Yeah. That, that would have been ideal, but unfortunately there wasn't a lot of games coming out for it, so it seemed a bit of a waste. <laughs> Well, I'm sure if they were jailbroken, you could probably put emulators on it, though. Yeah, yeah, you could have done that. That is true. <laughs> I, I say I'm too lazy to do all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Incidentally, um, Michael Borhan said that the Xbox One is not coming out in Japan. There's no plan for a release. They, you were, talk, were talking about that earlier. So, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. well they have traditionally not done well in Japan. The Xbox systems and, and, and games just really have never really sold well over there. So I guess in this case, they're just not going to bother or, or they're going to just wait and see if there is a demand and an outcry, then they'll release it. But in the meantime, they're just not going to bother. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's the first game. The second game I've got on your list is a game called YS Book 1 and 2. Yes, these yeah. book one and two uh, for the turbo for the turbo graphic CD system or Turbo Duo. Yeah. Uh, really? Now I can't remember what year that one came out. I'm a yeah, little fuzzy. I believe it was 1990. Okay, see that's that's Johnny's one of his most favorite games of all time, and I've sat down and played through a good chunk of it, and I would love to finish it. And that's a it's for those that don't know it. Legend of Zelda-esque gameplay, although the combat, instead of swinging a sword, is literally you just keep running into the enemies. But if you can get them from the side or the back, you'll do more damage than they do to you. Uh, and as you get stronger, you can damage them more easily. Uh, but it's it's a very good story, a very long and involved story. And one of the first CD games out, it had just amazing music. So it's a game that I would love to be able to, you know, being on a desert island and having lots of time, I'd love to sit down and finish it. And uh, and and just for the music alone, I'd I'd be able to sit and play that over and over and over. So you, you've never finished that particular game? Not book two. No. I finished the first book, but I haven't finished book two. Um, so, and and Johnny's bugged me about that because I was on a really good roll and I was most of the way through, and then I put it down. Something shiny distracted me as usual, and mm-hmm. uh, I never got back to it. But I, I know I have to at some point. Well, once you go on that, my desert island, you you get your chance. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was Pete uh, Double CD. Um, I don't think that came out for any other systems, did it? That one. Um, there was. 
a Master System version of Ease Vanished Omens, which was like book one. Uh, there is a Nintendo DS version of Ease book one and two, which is a, a more updated one. Right. Um, actually, the Ease books have, or the Ease games have come out on quite a few, almost every platform out there, but not in that original form. Most of them are now the kind where you swing the sword and it slashes the enemies. Um, so in that pure original form, I think that the Famicom and the Master System were the only versions like that. I unfortunately never had a Turbo CD myself, so um, this game passed me by, but one day, one day I'll get one of those systems and I will, I will look it up, hopefully, when I have more money. <laughs> well, well worth, uh, well worth looking into if, if, when, as, and how you have the means, for sure. Yeah. So that was YS book one and two, um, and I believe that was uh, Alpha System that brought that one out. Yeah, and uh, and Falcom. Yeah. Okay, so the next one, I think it's your fourth one already. It's the, well, most people will be familiar with this particular series, but it's Zelda, and it's linked to the past. My most favorite Zelda game of all time. Was this the SNES? Was it SNES? Yeah, that's the one that was on the Super NES. Uh, And it was such an excellent game. Uh, I mean, the, the first Zelda was great. And when the, when Zelda 2 came out, everyone was very confused because it was part side-scroller and it was just very... It didn't have that same core feeling. I mean, there's I, I love Zelda 2 myself. There are, there are those that really like it. But it didn't feel like a true Zelda sequel. When Link to the Past came out, not only was it 16-bit, the Mode 7 scaling... Um, sorry... <laughs> Movie man <laughs> apparently had a bit of a scary dream and he, he needs some reassuring. Mum's taking care of it. Oh yeah. Did you? <laughs> Poor little bugger. Did you just say the wee man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Scottish. Um, do you have some Scottish roots? Yes, Scottish yeah. and Irish. I love to drink, but I hate to pay for it. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife is three quarters Scottish, uh, quarter Polish. And I've got a bit of a Heinz 57 in the UK, so I've got uh, mostly Scottish and Irish, some English, Welsh, a bit of French in there we don't like to talk about. <laughs> um, I'm also a 10th generation Canadian on one side, so uh, I bleed maple syrup apparently. But, uh, no, there's, there's a, a fair amount of the Scottish in the background. As a matter of fact, after marrying my wife, uh, I have been accepted into the Cameron of Iraq clan that was her family's clan. And I've been told that I am allowed to wear the tartan, so as soon as I can afford it, I am going to get myself a full kilt. Oh, bro, yeah, you need to do it, you need to do it. Oh, absolutely. I was kind of jealous, actually, at John's wedding, because he and his family, he's Ferguson, and so he wore the family tartan, and as did a lot of his uncles uh, that that had full kilt. Uh, But I wasn't able to get one in time, otherwise I would have worn it for that. See, my family don't have a tartan, so... When I get married, um, I wore the Rangers tartan, which is obviously the Rangers Football Club tartan. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we, I actually um, got married at Ibrox Stadium, which is the home of Rangers. Glasgow Rangers Football Club? Yes, uh, yeah, I got married at the stadium. Hey, very nice, man. As a matter of fact, 
I have an interesting kind of a history with them in that when I was in high school, one of the years that we had a really big dump of snow, I was walking home from a friend's house, and in the field by my high school, I could see this bright blue something lying in the snow. And I ran over, and it turned out it was a Glasgow Rangers toque. And I'd, I'd not heard of that football club at the time in high school. But I kept it, and I loved it. I loved the, the team logo, and I loved the, uh, the, the design. And so I kept that. And then a few years ago, there was a shop that opened up in New Westminster near where I am, and they had uh, team scarves. And I managed to get a Glasgow scarf as well. Brilliant. The, so, the old uh, red, white, and blue. Yeah, that's my team. Brilliant. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in my good books anyway. <laughs> of course, uh, in Scotland, you wouldn't be called Robman, you would be called Rabman. Rabman. In Scotland, you would be called Rabman, not Robman. Because for people that are in Scotland that are called Rob, we call them Rab. It's just sort of an inflection difference, though, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a... Scottish slang way of saying it, so... As long as they don't call me Nobby, that's fine. <laughs> Nobby? <laughs> I used to have a cat you... called Nobby. <laughs> I, uh, I used to work at uh, the British Ex-Servicemen's Association over here, tending bar, and there was uh, a few, uh, more than a few of the folks that would come in nicknamed me Nobby, because apparently that was another nickname for people named Rob. I've not heard that. Um... Or it could have been because of my shaved head and the shiny, shiny scalp. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, I, I I used to have a cat called Nobby. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But I think that cat was called after uh, Nobby Styles, who I think is a English football goalkeeper. <laughs> it wasn't me that named the cat. So. <laughs> no, otherwise it wouldn't have been uh, an English goalkeeper, eh? No, it would have been, it would have been a chap called Andy Gorham. Uh. Famous Rangers goalkeeper. Nice. Anyway, um, I've got off topic again. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. And you know what? I think we actually missed uh, Blaster Master Game 2. Master Blaster Game 2? Yeah, that was my, my, my the second one on the list. Uh, there was uh, Blaster Master. I think we skipped that one. Ah, right. Yes, I do apologize. We'll go back to Blaster Master. Oh. No worries. I mean, it's really, it's not, aside from Mega Man 2, they're not really in any specific order. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but but that's one that's very near and dear to my heart, so I definitely wanted to mention it. Mega Man 2, of of course, is going to be at the top. Um, okay, so, Blaster Master, what's your memories of that one? Well, in Japan, it was known as Metafight, um, and, and it's got a really weird story. Uh, the main character, Jason, uh, has a pet frog, that escapes from its jar, hops into the backyard, lands on a giant box full of radioactive waste, because I mean, who doesn't have one of those in their backyard? Everybody should have that. I've definitely got one. Oh, yeah. I like to keep two or three back there just in case the kids get uppity. But, uh, <laughs> and then the frog touches it, grows to immense size, falls through a hole in the ground that opens up. The kid jumps after it because, you know, that, that's, that's one big old radioactive frog. you got to get that back. And finds a tank. It just so happens to have a, a, a driver uniform his size in it and that's drives true. off into the underground. That's and, uh, eh? Sorry, sorry, carry on. Well, I was going to say, it's a, I mean, it's a really bizarre story. 
it's an excellent game, though. It's a side-scrolling game. You're driving around the little tank and shooting, and you can rotate the cannon upward and fire up, and it jumps. And you can also jump out, and the little guy will walk around, and you can go through doorways into, like, a Legend of Zelda view dungeon. It's a great, great game. I played that oh, back when I was quite young, when it came out. I would go through games in, like, an hour. I could just run through most Nintendo games. So we went to the store and asked the guys at the counter back when, you know, video game stores had staff that knew video games yeah. uh, and said, what, what's a really hard game, a game that I'm not going to finish right away? And the guy recommended this one. And so I bought it sight unseen, sort of a blind buy. And yeah. it's excellent. Now, as a side story, it's also the game that got my wife and I together. Oh, really? Oh, how did that she's, yeah, she's a gamer as well, and she played it as a kid. And when we were on our first date, she asked, you know, she said, oh, you, you played the old Nintendo, yeah? And I said, yes. And she said, do you remember a game called Blaster Master? Because I could never get past the crab boss on level five, and I just about, I just about passed out. <laughs> That's it. That was pretty much the point when I knew I was going to marry her, I think. <laughs> uh, you've got somebody that loves Master Blaster, then you can't go wrong, can you? Oh, no. Uh, when you, the couple of games together stays together. Yeah. Um... My wife doesn't play much games. Um, <laughs> she does have a 3DS. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, Says the gateway. It all starts somewhere. It's a start, yeah. yeah. I did manage to get her to play um, Grand Theft Auto once, um, but it was a Grand Theft Auto Chinatown Wars. So that being Grand Theft Auto, be my favourite series. Uh, at least oh, got her interested in that. <laughs> Good deal. Well, I mean, that, that game is excellent stress relief. I mean, you know, you have a bad day, you come home, run over some people, beat up some hookers. That's a good day. Yeah, I mean, I do that in real life as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really. I don't really, no. <laughs> so, Master Blaster was... I apologize because um, that's one game I've not played. That was Nintendo. Yeah, that was, sorry. Yeah, that came out on the NES and the Famicom. Uh, and it was, yeah... And I think that's about it. There have been a couple of very forgettable sequels that we, we won't mention. Uh, there is, however, a pseudo, sort of a, a remake slash sequel on WiiWare that's right. excellent. So if anyone wants to see what the series is about, that would be an excellent place to start if you have a Wii. Brilliant. I don't know how I, so I, I don't know how I managed to miss that one. That one. Uh, yeah, I think it was... I think it was joined on to the end of Mega Man 2, so... <laughs> that's yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah, I think my list probably got a little scrambled when I sent it over. My apologies. Not at all. There was little hyphens between them, but I must have... Because I was pasting it into my document here, and I must have taken a hyphen out, and for some reason I thought it was the same... <laughs> I thought it was Mega Man 2, Blaster Master. <laughs> so... <laughs> My bad. Wouldn't make an excellent crossover, though. I wouldn't complain for that. Oh, oh! I think I we've discovered something. That's a that's a a marketing idea for somebody. We've just made somebody very rich. Yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't us. No, it wasn't us. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I think the next one on the list then would be Super Metroid. Absolutely. Yeah, but that would be on the snare. Yes, that one came out on the Super Nintendo, um, which was the, the first 
again, the first proper sequel. There was uh, Metroid 2 on the Game Boy, but it was very confusing, and, and, and people could get lost very easily in that game, and very difficult. Uh, so Super Metroid was the first proper sequel in my books. Uh, and I don't know, have you have you played it? See, this is the... I, I get embarrassed, to be honest with you, because um, a lot of people that come on this show are, and a lot of people I know on YouTube in general are Nintendo fans. Um, I've never owned a Nintendo in my life, so ah. I have to confess, no, I've not played this game, although I, I, I'm aware of it, but um, I've unfortunately never played it, so... Oh, no worries. No worries. It's um, it's basically, it was the start of what people now, and, and for all of you that cringe, uh, too bad, uh, Metroidvania-style gameplay. Right. So it gave you that sort of blue map that would fill in as you traveled through, and then if you downloaded at certain stations the, the full map of the area, the areas you had not been would be a slightly darker color. Um, and then there were the various power-ups and, and weapons and items you can get, and every power-up opened up more places you could get to so you could expand that map. Uh, so as opposed to the first Metroid where you had to draw your own or have the Nintendo Player's Guide, which I had, luckily, um, you had to basically go it alone. So it was uh, in the Super, Super Metroid, it built the map for you, and then you could find, it would mark out where doors that had to be open with missiles or super missiles or various things were. Um, and it was it was just a really excellent game. Amazing graphics for the time. Yeah. Again, fantastic music. And a good, long, challenging story. So I, I highly recommend that for anyone who hasn't. Uh, if you get the chance, if you have a Super Famicom or you can, you can stand one off a of mate, I would highly recommend picking that up and giving it a try. I think, actually, it's also on the Wii U eStore right now, and it's not very expensive. I was going to say, um, yeah, that was, one, that was was one of the things I was going to ask you. Um, I think it's on Virtual Console. Um, have you played... Is it a, is it a direct port, or is it uh, different series? Or? It, it is a direct port, but what's nice about it is the fact that uh, on the Wii U, because it's designed for 1080p with the HDMI output, it looks really nice. They've cleaned up the graphics and they've got them really crisp so it's not looking really sort of muddy or pixelated. It looks really clean and the sound is really nice. Yeah. And uh, either on that little screen on the, the Wii U gamepad or on your television, it'll look fantastic. So if you've got it, fill your boots, man. Go for that and try it. Oh, well, uh, Michael said that he got it for 50 pence. Yeah, they had a massively ridiculous sale for a while when Wii U first came out. And uh, it, it wasn't that expensive, but I mean, I think at full price, it's still in North America. It's maybe five or six bucks. So, right. you know, still, still cheap, still cheap. Yeah, very, very affordable. Uh, the the virtual console for for anyone that wants to get into retro gaming. Yeah, hit it up. It's an excellent way to do it. I believe that I believe this game came out actually in nineteen ninety four. I think so. Yeah. I'm terrible. About 20 years ago today. Well, not 20 years ago this year. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Oh, was it 90? Yes, it was 94. Cause 90. Yeah. Yeah, I was in grade 11. I'm giving away my age now. Well, in 1994, I had left school uh, for three years. Three years previously to 1994. So, I am also I am also old. <laughs> Ah, so you would have graduated the same time as my older brother. 
Yeah, although I don't know what age he was. Uh, when I left school, I was just uh, just short of my 16th birthday. Oh, okay. No, then you'd be about my sister's age. Right. I'm the youngest in my family. So, because uh, I started high school in 91, Right. And my brother graduated that year from high school. And my sister graduated in uh, 93. But we finished high school at 18. I think, yeah, I mean, I think I could have stayed on until I was 18, but I didn't like school, so I I just left the first opportunity that I had. Um, So we do six years in high school, so I think I was actually in in year five, so I could have stayed on a little longer, but I didn't want to. And if I'd have had the option, I'd have left a lot sooner than I did. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, back in uh, my dad's days, they used to leave sometimes 13, 14, and go and work in the mines and things like that. Well, you see, in those days, you could go and get a job at that age, and you could work your way up inside the company. Yeah. Right? I mean, it used to be you could get a good career out of doing that. Nowadays, they're just you can't, which is funny because you go and get a big fancy degree, and you still can't get a very good job. <laughs> yes, you know, I mean, my 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 older brother, he got a degree in computer science, and he ended up becoming a salesman. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I see. We're starting to wonder if this education thing is just a giant scam, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've got a, I've had a few good jobs in my time, and I've not really got a proper education. So, um, and I've worked in radio stations and, um governments and all sorts of things um, it's just uh, sometimes it just depends on being in the right place at the right time As you, kind of like me I've been uh, a million different jobs I did eight years of retail from bartending and uh, busting tables uh, serving waitering I've done I've been a barista in coffee shops fully trained for that I've taken I've actually licensed as a bartender I had to take a, a government licensed course I've written, I've taken a broadcasting degree and got that. I've written radio st- commercials for radio stations. Right. Um, done some of the production for the, the radio commercials. Uh, God, I did two years in a law firm mailroom, delivering the mail and faxes and doing data entry. I've done uh, And now I'm uh, a Red Seal journeyman in HVAC and refrigeration. Well, you get yeah. about... <laughs> Yeah, oh, absolutely. Of course, what I like about the the ticket that I've got now for my trades qualifications is uh, it's accepted anywhere in the Commonwealth. So That's handy. My, should I decide that I want to, you know, come over and visit you guys over there in Scotland and open a pub and then just repair all the refrigeration for it myself or if I want to come over there and do my HVAC and refrigeration work, I could because uh, the Canadian trade qualification is accepted anywhere they have the queen on the money. No, you should because um, Glasgow is in, but badly in need of some good pubs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's shocking to me, to be honest with you. I would have thought you'd have a good uh, a good number of them there. Oh no, no, there is a lot, but they're just mostly crap. <laughs> <laughs> need need a a proper a good proper pub, eh? Yes, there's a See, couple of good ones. I've I've been hearing actually these these horrifyingly shocking rumors that most of the pubs now are all sort of. You know, modernized and the walls are all painted white or bright colors and there's like this fancy furniture and it's not 
like good old pubs with, you know, a wood bar and brass rail and dim lighting and brick walls and Yes, it's it's not far from the truth. A lot a lot of pubs over here are kind of chain pubs. So there's wherever there's a pub in London or Birmingham or Manchester, you'll get exactly the same pub in Glasgow. And there's a chain chain of pubs. I'm not even going to say a name in case I get any trouble, but people <laughs> people will know what the, the the chain that I'm talking about. And so there's a lot of pubs like that in Glasgow, and there's no atmosphere. There's no music in them. It's just mostly people sitting about having dinner and things like that. So, oh, you see, that's that's not right. I mean, I've obviously got romanticised notions of it because I've never actually been over to the UK, and I'd love to. I would love to. I want to go to Scotland with my family someday and show them their roots and yeah. and all that. But I mean, a, a, a proper pub, in my opinion, should be you know like owned by a, a, you know a. a you know, owned by like a wife and a husband or something like that, and be an established neighborhood fixture, and you know, a, a nice, softly lit interior with you know dark hardwood furniture and 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 comfy chairs that are a little bit threadbare, and you know, um, a good big fireplace, good hearty food, you know, a good uh, a good bit of either haggis or steak and kidney pie, or you know, y- your fish and chips, and then a, yeah. a good selection of ales on top. Nice collection of scotch behind the bar. That'd be a proper yeah. pub. To be fair, to be fair, there, there is some pubs in Glasgow, and most most of the pubs like that in Glasgow are kind of in the west end of Glasgow. Okay. Whereas I kind of drink uh, central, so. Um, I was just going to say something about pubs, and it just went completely out of my mind. Oh, uh, I can't do that to people. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I'm sure it'll come back to me. <laughs> Something to do with. Oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm glad I remembered. Um, there was an awesome pub in Glasgow, and I think it closed down last year, which is a shame. But I can't feel the life of me to remember the name of it either. But it was basically a pub, and you went into it, and it was all full of retro games. <gasps> um, it had a it had a ZX Spectrum, it had a Sega Master System, um, it had all sorts of it had arcade machines and things like that. Oh, that sounds like heaven. It was brilliant. You could just go up and... Anybody, if you just wanted to, to, you could just go up and have a little shot on the Spectrum or pick up a Master System controller. And it was all, like, um, CTs and, like, sofas and stuff you could sit on. It wasn't even, like, you know, the usual kind of tables and chairs and things that you get in pubs, so... Oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, but I went in it, um, I went in it, I think, last year, and it had all gone, it had all changed... Where's the spectrum? Oh, that's heartbreaking. That's just not right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who made the decision to change it, but well, whoever they are, find them and hang them. Yes. <laughs> when I won the lottery, I will set one up. So, and I will, I will call it Desert Island Games. And I will work on your refrigeration, and I'll tend the bar for you. Brilliant. That sounds like a plan. All right, I'm in. <laughs> anyway, just just um, finishing up on Super Metroid, um, I was going to say that uh, a little fact that I found on it was um, it came first in Game Radar's Game, game Radar's Game Radar's all-time SNES games. Oh, did it? Yeah. Good show, that. 
Well, I mean, it, it really is a title that, that holds up on its own. Even today, it is absolutely, it holds up wonderfully. Awesome game, awesome choice. And the next one, hopefully I've not missed any more, but I believe the next one is Granadia. Am I saying yes. that right? Yeah. Grandia. Grandia, sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's, uh, that was a PS1 role-playing game. Uh, originally in Japan on the Sega Saturn, but yeah. a little history lesson for those that, that aren't aware. Um, the Sega Saturn in North America especially, for some reason they refused to release Japanese-made games for the most part. Like They, they would not bring over the, the traditional JRPGs to North America. They yeah. seemed to think that it was too niche and it would make their, their console look uh, too, too um, niche and it wouldn't sell well enough and it wouldn't promote the Sega Saturn the way it should. The problem is, when it came to 2D graphic games like this, the Saturn was so much better than the PS1. But they just they couldn't get... They would not allow these games over in North America. So eventually, Sony grabbed it. They picked it up from Game Arts and did a, a, a Sony PlayStation version, which is the one that we got here. And it is so good. It's got that sweeping story that starts where you're a little kid in a small town and you're pretending to be an adventurer and then you get swept up in all these big political events and travel the world. And it just grows and grows and grows as you play. Uh, all of the characters are really likable. All of the artwork is so charming. The music is grand where it needs to be and very simple where it's best for that. And it's it, the combat system is so intuitive and user-friendly that it just it, it, it flows excellently. I really... I, I played this when I was living in a small town in the interior of British Columbia called Quenelle, which is, uh, for those that live in BC, would know... Um, between uh, a town called Williams Lake and another one called uh, Prince George. Halfway in between, there's this tiny little armpit of a town called Quinell. And uh, I, I was there for about four months working at the radio station writing commercials. And while I was there, there was, there was, there was nothing to do. I lived on my own. Uh, most of the people my age that were into the same things had left for the mainland in the big city. Uh, so I just went home of a night and drank a few beers and played this every night and it was awesome such a great way to kind of shut out the rest of the world and, and really enjoy an excellent game so for 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 traditional jrpg fans check this one out yeah i'm guessing that um rpg is your favorite genre because you, you do have a few a few rpgs on your list i didn't actually get into rpgs until i started hanging out with johnny he was the <laughs> one that instigated that I was originally a side-scrolling platformer and a shooter guy. I was all about action games and Twitch gameplay. Johnny opened my eyes because I used to be so impatient. I, I couldn't be bothered to just sit there and, you know, oh, attack, magic. I just It was too slow for me. But yeah. he opened my eyes to a slower story pace and, you know, taking your time and, and leveling up and getting stronger and learning magic. He, he got me really into that. So I owe him huge for that. So how long how long have you known Johnny? Oh God, uh, it's got to be over twenty years by now. Gosh, uh, I mean, I was we we started hanging out. He was my older brother's friend right. uh, back in the day, 
And I was the little brother that was always chased out of the room and not allowed to hang around. But Johnny would always come over and chat with me and, you know, what are you doing? And, and he was very interested in the Nintendo. And I was playing that. He'd come and chat with me because my brother and his friends were playing Dungeons and Dragons, which <laughs> John was there to play. The problem is my brother and his friends always argued over the rules and didn't actually play. And John had no time for that. He was bored. So he'd come over and sit with me while I played Nintendo and ask what I was doing and get into that. Um, yeah. But when I turned 18, so so it's going to be about 18 years ago, um, I ran into him by happenstance, and uh, we chatted a bit, and he said, yeah, give me, give me a call sometime. And yeah. so I phoned him a couple of days later, and he's, you know, we chatted a bit, and he said, yeah, why don't you come on by? Oh, it was because I'd asked him if he'd heard of anime, which he founded or helped found the Vancouver Anime Society. Okay. Uh, but I had just gotten into Sailor Moon. Yes, I was obsessed with that show. Feel free to laugh. Uh, and so I asked him if he knew what anime was, and he, he practically smacked me upside the head. He was like, are you, are you kidding me? I showed your brother what anime is. Come over to my house. Yeah. So I went, I went over, and he said, all right, come on in. First thing he had to do was make a cup of tea, because that's the rules. You go to his house, you drink tea. Um, down to the basement where his room was, and he showed me, He's like, there, look at that. 300 VHS cassettes of, uh, cassettes of fan-subbed anime. So, yeah. And so he was like, look, here. He took six of the tapes off the shelf, handed them to me, and said, that's irresponsible Captain Tyler. Watch that and then come back when you're done. <laughs> so, awesome. that, and that was the start. And after that, we started talking games, and we hung out every day for, for years. That's um, a lovely backstory to how you and Johnny met. Yeah, <laughs> or, and now we're uh, now we're nigh inseparable. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually quite similar, similar to myself because um, a lot of my friends were originally friends of my older brother. Um, I used to be the annoying little brother that kind of tried to hang about with him, um, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm more I'm probably more of friend of them than my brother is now because my, my brother lives down in England so he doesn't come up that often so I'm I'm more friendly with, with those guys now than what, what he ever was so. uh, yeah, it's funny how that happens though because eh? as you get older and the age gap closes yeah it, uh, it, it just becomes easier and yeah that's uh, that's John was always good about wanting to hang out with me though even even back in the day when I was really young he was always cool with it so it was kind of neat to, because cause he was a lot more into the video games than my brother and the rest of that lot were. So. Yeah, my, my brother's friends used to hate me, but um, I just kind of stuck it out. You know. <laughs> you know, persevered. Because, I don't know, a lot of my friends at school kind of, I don't know, went their separate ways and things like that, so I just kind of hung on their coattails. <laughs> Well, fair enough. I mean, after high school, a lot of people go different ways. A lot of people I knew in high school, I've barely talked to at all. Um, but, you know, I've got one or two really close friends, uh, John, and uh, a couple of other friends that I've met since high school that are that are really, really good friends, but that's about it, you know? Do you know, I actually walk down the street in the town where I live, and somebody will say, hi, John, how you doing? I'm like, Ah, yeah, yeah, great, great. And then I think to myself, who was that? <laughs> but it's obviously what I went to school with that I don't even remember. 
madness. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you covered that anyway, but I was going to ask you, but you'd kind of told me anyway, uh, which system you had it, but you had it on the PlayStation 1, because I noticed it came out, obviously, for the Saturn first. Have you played the Saturn version? Have you had a chance? I haven't, actually. I haven't bought the import version. I'll grab it someday, because it's, it's not super expensive. But I, I haven't had the chance yet to, to compare and contrast them. It's came out, um, well, it's not came out, but it's the, the original PlayStation 1 game. You can also get it on the PlayStation Network. Oh, can you now? Yeah, yeah, okay. I think That's good to know, because I think you can, if I'm not mistaken, then you could probably put that onto a PSP as well, couldn't you? Yeah. Oh, or, a P- or, or a PSP. I may have to look into that then. I'd love to have that one on the go. Uh, if, if, I, if I'm incorrect on that, I apologise, but I'm, um, uh, that my research tells me it has some places in network. So. Yeah, it, I, I'm pretty sure it is. Actually, yeah. I'm just I'm not 100% on whether they've made it PSP playable, but I think it most of the PS1 games are. I was going to hold on a second. I'll see if I can stretch. I've got my PlayStation Vita beside me, nearly. I broke, I broke my left arm back in the summer and I'm trying to stretch over, over with my left arm to get this. <laughs> just going to have a quick look just to see if I can see it on the PlayStation Network. Just out of interest now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, that'll be very... Uh, I'm curious now because if it is, I'll probably download that and uh, get my PSP out and dust it off, give me a reason to play it again. <laughs> so it's funny because uh, I've got this um, PSP. Uh, I got it on launch and... Um, all I've got on it is PSP games and PS1 games. I've not actually got any PS Vita games on it. Um, well, one you might want to look for, I don't know if it came out over that side, is... Um, uh, oh, shoot. Now I look like an idiot, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, it's made by Vanillaware. Um, oh, God. What's that called? People are screaming it at the podcast right now while they're listening. Um... Oh, because it came out on game or on Wii first. There was a a two D hand drawn Moon Mass of the Demon Blade. Ah, uh, yeah, I've heard of that. It's a gorgeous game graphically, just beautiful, uh, really awesome designs, and a very good side scrolling action game. Really takes you back to the old platforming days. But uh, they did a really good special edition of it for the Vita. So if you can find that, I'd highly recommend it. I was I looked up. Ah, there we go. Uh, you can actually get it on PSP. So uh, you must be able to get it on PSP as well. Yeah, Which, P- the Grandia? Grandia, yeah. Excellent. Oh, there you go. Well, I know what I'm doing later. <laughs> Full games. Um, I don't know what it is in, in the US or Canada, but it's um, £6.49 over here. So it'll probably be about six ninety nine over here. $6.90. Yeah, it says compatible with PlayStation 3, PSP, and PlayStation Vita. Excellent. Take the role of Justin the young boy obsessed with becoming a great adventurer, as you said earlier. Yeah. There you yeah, go. Well, I would recommend if you haven't uh, if you haven't played it, man, download that one and give her a go. Uh, I've got a birthday coming up soon, so if I get any PS Network money, <laughs> I'll give it a go. And if you hate it, you can you can tell me and I'll, I'll reimburse you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Oh well, we learn <laughs> we, we learn as we go. So you can get that on PlayStation Network. Okay, so the next one is Castlevania Sympathy of it's not Sympathy, is it? It's Symphony of the Night. Yeah. So why that particular Castlevania game? Again, in following with the Metroidvania, this was the first Castlevania game. So Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night were the two that overlapped to coin the phrase Metroidvania. This game took the Metroid map system and that, you know, gain a power up and get to further parts of various different parts of the map, a lot of backtracking and that, took that idea, added it to Castlevania, put in uh, RPG elements because you could level up your strength and your attacks and your magic, and, and really created what, to me, is the best and most pure Castlevania experience I've ever had. Now, you've got to add to this the fact that this came out earlier in the lifespan of the PlayStation. And again, in Japan, Sega Saturn. Yeah. We could have had this on the Sega Saturn with much better 2D graphics, but we didn't get it. We got it on the PS1. Mm. Uh, but around the beginning of the PS1's life cycle in North America is when it came out... And I remember, right, it was the first game I bought with my PlayStation when I finally got one. And uh, Johnny had it, and he, I played a little bit of it at his house. And then I picked it up, and I brought it home. And at that time, living with my parents, in their house, upstairs, down the end of the hall, there was a bedroom that was attached to, like, a loft that looked out over the ground floor living room. Right. And that loft was my gaming room. So I had a, a like a 30-inch CRT TV in there and an old amp and tuner. And I had like eight speakers. It was only stereo, but I had four down one side of the room, four down the other with the wires all stuck up in the corners of the wall. And they were all up high so that I could have really good sound. And uh, I had a big beanbag chair in the middle of the room right in front of the telly. And then I, I put a coaster on the ground so I could have my pint next to it. And uh, I, w- I was sat there the first time Johnny saw me playing it, and that's the first experience I had playing it in my house, was that. The PlayStation hooked up to that telly, the big pint sitting on the coaster, sitting in a beanbag chair, surrounded by the sound. Just just cranked, and it was such an amazing experience. Every time I play it, I can close my eyes, and I'm sitting back in that room playing that game. And it's so, again, so well done. I could play it over and over and over. It's a nice long game. There's a million secrets to find. I've never completed the over 200% of the castle, which is possible. I've still only ever made 198%. I'm missing that final 3%, which I'll find someday. You need, so, to, go yeah, back we, and, you need to go back and do it. <laughs> you see, and that would be... Uh, and, and of course, oh, now, for anyone that saw an episode of Happy Console Gamer that John did about losing your game saves... Right. Which uh, actually ended up on, I believe, Destructoid put that up on their blog. But um, they, they put a link to that episode. That, he had a 200% finished game of Symphony of the Night. And his cousin came over to visit, one of his younger cousins. And, and he said, okay, well, you can play this game. Don't, don't save anything. Well, you don't. <laughs> save anything at all and he, he started a new game and then he saved it over the 200% complete oh my god John phoned me the next day just like just just shaking with anger just livid I lost my save I can't 
I'm so pissed off. I can't believe this guy. And he was just so angry. And I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We can fix it. And I, I got on my bike. I rode over to his house. I put on the tee. We sat down. And between the two of us, we just passed the controller back and forth all day, well into the night. And we got him right back to 200%. See, that is what I call friendship. Well, that's, that's what mates do, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. A similar thing happened to a friend of mine. He said that his his son, when his son was a little bit younger, his son was about twelve or thirteen at the time, and he he put his dad's and my friend's he put his uh, PlayStation on. I can't can't even remember what game it was, but he said that um, he wiped the whole memory card on his PlayStation, and he had all these save games for all 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 his games basically, and he was so angry with his son. Don't even look at me right now. Get your I think he felt a bit bad about shouting at him, but it, it is heartbreaking when, when these things happen. Well, I mean, the first playthrough of Symphony of the Night, we invested hours upon hours. I mean, there must have been 30 or 40 hours we'd put into that each on our separate games. I mean, it, to explore that entire castle the first time, it was so huge. And you didn't know where anything was, and there was so much backtracking. That's a serious time investment that just went up and smoke. I don't think I could invest 30 or 40 hours in a game these days. Just, um, just, I think half the problem I've got is I've just got too many games. And yeah, you want to play a bit of all the games. Well, you see, that's where I've become somewhat of a uh, a, a video game gigolo, as, as Johnny and I call it. I buy games when they come out, all these new games, and I've got shelves and shelves for them. But I never have time to bloody play them, or I'll play it for a while, and then I'll get distracted by something new and shiny. Yes. And I'll forget to come back. And I feel like the biggest jerk in the world. All I can say is, when I retire, I know exactly what I'm doing, and I can tell you that my couch is going to have the deepest ass groove in that anyone's ever seen. Because <laughs> I'm going to sit down on that sucker, and I'm not leaving until those games are finished. Yeah. That'll be your, your, your dying wish to finish off all your games. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And then when I go, I'm getting a giant mausoleum built and the collection's coming with me. <laughs> yeah, but you need to build a, a big underground cavern with your coffin in your games. Absolutely. Incidentally, yeah. that game is also on PlayStation Network. Yes. It's yeah. available on PlayStation Network. It at least was on Xbox Live Arcade for a while. Yeah. I'm not sure if it still is. You can... There's... There was somewhere else. It was a bonus on another game or something. What game was that? I was sure there was an unlockable version of it on another newer game. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Maybe I'm off my tree. I can't remember. I've just got yeah. on PS1, PSP. Yeah, and uh, Xbox Live Arcade. Xbox Live, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Just getting back to these last two games that came out on the Sega Saturn first and then they came out in the PlayStation 1 and Sega Saturn wouldn't release them yeah. uh, over here. I wonder if it's things like that that's maybe made the Sega Saturn essentially fail in the end it, it was it, it, it definitely was and they've admitted that since 
their stubborn refusal to bring those games over is what put the nails in the coffin because by that point, North America was actually becoming a very big market. And a lot of, course, again, you got to remember at that time, gaming wasn't as prolific as it is now. It wasn't as widespread. You didn't have everybody playing games, talking about them. It wasn't as huge an industry. So the gamers back then are what are now defined as like those hardcore old school gamers. Yeah. And so they were the ones that wanted that kind of game, and Sega was just turning their backs on them. So that, that shot themselves in the foot. Big mistake. And that, then they did the same thing to the Dreamcast. They, they again, they didn't bring over the import-style games that a lot of North American hardcore gamers wanted. And that's what buried that system. That and uh, it was... Oh, what's his name now? He ended up going to Xbox after he worked for Sega. But it wasn't Molyneux. Was it Moore? Was it Peter Moore, I think? Was, um, anyway, he was hired by Sega, and he was given... He was basically given last word as to whether they should stop making hardware and go straight software, or whether they should give one more system a go. And he's the one that said, nope, kill the hardware. And then he left... And then he, uh, yep, and after that, uh, he took off and went to Xbox to help them launch that system. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of us are friggin' pissed about that because I think if they'd taken the time, the Dreamcast was just hitting its stride. If they'd given it a little bit longer and actually brought over those import games that we wanted, that system could have turned it around for them and they could have continued to be a good hardware guy. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I think it was, uh, I'm going to jump in on this one. <laughs> um, oh, hi, hi, guys. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing, though, it kind of them killing the console was probably a good idea on Sega's part because now the company's actually worth, like, four times the amount that it was worth previously when it was kind of dying out. And I can understand the reason behind it. It, it would have been nice if they came back and said, hey, you know what, we'll say let's put off the idea of a console and let's see what happens in the near future. But they kind of killed the whole concept with it altogether. So there's, um, there's no plans for them to make any new system. Uh, and they're kind of abundantly clear about that. It's, it's, it's kind of sad, but at the same time, at least the company is you know, in the position that they were able to buy out smaller companies like Atlas. Which, by the way, has um, I love hearing the news that Sega has said... Atlas, any of our old franchises that we don't use anymore, go crazy. Uh, a lot of people, um, I think um, Mark on Classic Game Room, he's always, he's always going on about Sega Dreamcast too. I think he's <laughs> more hopeful than anything else. <laughs> well, I think nowadays if they were going to try and do something like that, they would be doing it kind of as a as a, a love letter to the fans, but they wouldn't be taking it seriously. Um, yeah. I don't think that they would ever jump back into the hardware game at this point because, as, as Michael said, as a straight software company, they're no longer restricted to one system for sales. They can sell to everybody. Yeah, they are doing good. They've got a lot of good things going on with the software. They're, they're literally one of the... Um, if you look in terms of the highest-grossing gaming companies out there... Sega's absolutely one of the highest grossing, and a lot of that is due to the fact that, as you said, they're literally 
um, mass marketed their properties on loads of different systems. You can find it on like touchscreen handheld devices. You can find it on um, Sony systems. You can find it on Nintendo systems. You can find it on um, Xbox like systems with the 360 and the Xbox One. So them going back and trying to streamline everything into one console, it's just it's not going to work for them. No, it's not. It's not feasible at all. Yeah, and it's uh, you're right though. It is a shame because the Dreamcast itself was way ahead of its time. Oh, I, God, wasn't it? I was in love with that system. I, I remember like with the the whole memory card units. You could just take them out and and play little mini games so you could progress further in the big stuff and yeah. uh, the the whole graphical interface. Everything about that console screamed sort of next gen before next gen even happened. But it just it, it, people weren't interested. A lot of it was just due to bad management on Sega's part in terms of what they produced. You know, the yeah. 32X gave a huge low blow. The then the Saturn came out and they decided, well, we're not going to support the system anymore after like uh, only a few years. Yeah. And they were just kind of rushing and rushing and rushing things. And it's it's kind of the same thing that happened with uh, Atari, so to speak, as well. Uh, if everyone remembers the Atari Jaguar, where they just wanted to throw a system out there which was untried, untested, for <laughs> it, you know. And, and what didn't help Sega a, a lot as well was got big companies like EA were like, well, we're not going to support the system anymore because we're tired of watching you guys throw a system out and then discontinue it, and throw another one out and discontinue it. Um, yeah. But if they they had that support, if they did hold on. They, we probably would have seen um, maybe the, the number two console of that era if they just held on and, and kept producing titles and, and kept going in their stride. Because we see it with Nintendo at the moment. A lot of companies are writing Nintendo off, but they're still holding on very strongly in terms of their sales. The Wii U's picking up steam now. They've got a lot more relevant first-party titles coming in. Uh, the 3DS has outsold nearly every freaking new console out there. Um, so Nintendo doing amazingly well, swimmingly well. So it, it just goes to show if you hold on uh, just enough, if you just get people to be patient with you, you can do it. You can succeed. Yeah. Uh, I have major hopes for this Atlas Sega merger when they said that defunct properties or disused properties can be brought back up and, and made, you know, be used for whatever they want. Atlas is the kind of company that is dedicated so much to those niche gamers and those hardcore gamers. They basically took up the torch from um, working designs, really. And and they, if, they, if they're going to do that, they, they would be brilliant to go into Sega's back catalog and just start hauling up all of those classics. Like, let's see another Alex Kidd. Let's see another Monster World. Let's see, you know, bring bring these great series back. Let's see another single-player Fantasy Star game. You know, like, but, bring these bring <laughs> these properties back, eh? Yeah, definitely. Hey, somebody what do you say? Oh, sorry. That's always been my particular favorite Sega game. Fantasy Zone. I love that little ship. Oh, the Opa Opa. Yeah. It's... It's one of those things, really, that now they've given this unlimited access, and they've kind of got all like Disney with it, if that makes sense. Because Disney, when they bought out Marvel Comics, they left the properties alone and said, "Well, we're going to add to it. We're going to give you 
um, our back catalogue and stuff, and you guys do what you will with it. And Marvel now has basically been grossing billions upon billions in terms of the way that they're streamlining their industry, and have been untouched. And Sega's kind of do that with Atlas at the moment, where they're just saying, we're not going to, you know, the way you did business is fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was some mismanagement, don't worry about it, but we're going to allow you guys to still develop the games that you do it. But what we're going to do is we're going to deal with the marketing and everything like that. And it's worked. And Atlas is still releasing some amazing games and amazing titles. Now that Sega said, hey, you know what? Our library is open to you. Do it as you will. It leaves unlimited amounts of possibilities. And the fanboy of me, I'm just like, yay! Well, I mean, dare, dare we pray there might be an English-translated version of Sega Gaga on some of the home consoles, like the, the virtual consoles or the download services? It would, hopefully, that that should be the case, because it would be beneficial. That would be amazing. Yeah. And we'll vent off topic, topic again. <laughs> yeah, sorry, again, I am the tangent master. I tend to do that. No, <laughs> it was me that asked the question, so I'll have to take the blame for that one. <laughs> yeah, but somebody at Sega needs a balls booted. That's maybe you can edit that one out, Michael. And <laughs> um, shall we move on to the next game? I'm sorry. Shall we move on to the, the two oh, yeah. game? Yeah. Yeah, oh, game sorry. eight, the last game I would take with me to a desert island. Oh, we've got to eight already. <laughs> so yeah. it's. Um, Dragon Quest Eight. Now, it, now there was some. To, I, I had it up a bit for debate because I didn't know if PS2 was yet being considered retro or, or, or uh, you know, old school games. Ah, well, don't worry because um, you wouldn't have heard the previous episodes, but um, I have discussed this, and maybe we should have said it at the start. Actually, um, um, as it's my island, um, I do allow PlayStation Two games um, because. I I would consider PlayStation 2 to be retro, so, yep, PlayStation 2 games are definitely allowed, yeah. Perfect. Well, then Dragon Quest 2, it is, or Dragon Quest 8, it is, um, it was PS2, as we've just established. Um, Now, the only other Dragon Quest game I had personally played all the way through before that was Dragon Warrior on the NES, Ways back in the day, and that was the first RPG I finished. I played start to finish, um, and the only one up until I met Johnny. Now, this game came out, and this was, I think, one of the first, if not the first, game from level five. And now, what floored me about this was that they had taken the Akira Toriyama designs and yeah. managed to make them 3D, cell shade them and do it so perfectly that it looked like a living Akira Toriyama world. Wow. It was so beautiful. All the monsters were were rendered nicely. It all looked totally cartoony. Um, The voice, the the English dub, was amazing on this. Now, normally I don't like dub games. I will come right out and say, I don't like dubbed anime, and I don't like dubbed games. I usually want it in the original language. However... The guys at level five used an almost entirely uh, UK and uh, European cast for this, right? And the quality of the voice acting was beyond compare. The voices were perfect for the characters. I felt it was performed very, very well, top class 
marks across the board. So that just added an extra feather to the cap on this game because it's so well done. It, it introduces what level five now has in almost every game, some form of alchemy pot where you can create items and weapons by adding different elements and components into this little pot and then it sits and stews for a while and pops up something new. And that was how you had to get all of your best weapons was by, you know, figuring out what mixtures to use uh, yeah. and your best armor and such. It was um, just yeah, such an amazing living, breathing world. And that game, uh, I played at the same time as Johnny. He had a copy as well. And we were constantly phoning each other and sharing notes like, oh, where are you at and how low did you learn how to make this? And have you made one of those yet? And, oh, have you, which monsters have you caught for the battle arena? Because they had one of those, uh, you could capture monsters and train them and then go to this battle arena and, and pit them against opponents to, to level them up and win the top marks in the, the monster training. Like, it, it had so much going on, but all of it didn't feel too busy. It yep. all worked very, very well. And how, how many hours did you lose in that game, do you think? Oh, God. What do you, what do you reckon for Dragon Quest? How many hours did you have? 40, 50? I think it might have been 70, actually, for that one, because we did every side quest. Yeah, but, but somewhere between 60 and 70 hours, because we did every side quest. We found every legendary monster to bring into your team. We, um, And you have to finish it technically twice to get the really the proper ending. So you finish it the first time, you do an extra dungeon. After the credits, you save. You can go back into the world. You do an extra dungeon, then finish it again, and you get the proper ending. That's, that's, that's uh, an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, it's... Uh, and it, it, it laid the way for a lot of Level 5's other games because uh, they, they did that one. And they, they were also the guys who did Dragon Quest IX, Sentinels of the Starry Sky. They did uh, Rogue Galaxy, which is a fantastic game as well in its yeah. own right. Uh, and they also did... Uh, oh, what was the other one? Oh, they did Dark Cloud. Oh, so Dark Cloud was their first, I think, actually. They did Dark Cloud, Dark Cloud 2, then they did Dragon Quest 8. So there we go. Um, and they also did Nino Kuni for the PS3. All right, yeah. So they're very good at taking well-known animators, uh, Japanese animators, and making their work 3D and rendered, and yet making it look 2D at the same time. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yes, I'm like an awesome um, games developer. Yeah. Um, now the music in this one was actually performed by the Tokyo Metropolitan Symphony Orchestra. Can't get my words out. The Tokyo <laughs> Metropolitan Symphony Orchestra. Orchestra. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the music in this one? Gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. It was an all symphonic track, and it was just. It was a lot of it was traditional Dragon Quest music that was had been done as a full orchestra piece. And some of it was new, but it fit that feel perfectly. That sort of medieval uh, sound, uh, but but definitely full full composition. So it, it wasn't like compressed and played on a synth at all. You could tell it was a full orchestra. And and excellent, like classical music fans, people who like to listen to classical symphonies, uh, you know Beethoven, Mozart, Bach, stuff like that. I think they could even listen to this and still enjoy it. Oh yeah, it, there was um, there was soundtracks released. But I think there was a 
a different version in Japan than what came out in North America. But, um, yeah, the Japanese one was kind of sequenced music, whereas the North America one was sym- symphonic sweet orchestra. And I'm not reading that from Wikipedia at all. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, then we got lucky. We got the better soundtrack then. Definitely. Um, so five points for us. Yeah. Actually, um, as far as um, remakes and reissues, this one was very recently brought out on Android and iOS, but only in Japan. It came out in December December the 12th last month. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, Personally, I really like playing it on the... Uh, on the on the telly, but uh, that's that's part of why I need to fix and and bring back to life my 60 gig PS3. So I've got one of those, but it keeps overheating. So uh, I'm gonna have to do some custom work on it. I'm gonna try and put in a liquid cooled system on it, so that it'll stop overheating permanently. Uh, because to play, especially the level five games, those the cell shaded 3D RPGs from the PS2, yeah. up converted to 1080p with the render smoothing that the PS3 can do, looks so gorgeous in HD. So that's, I have to get my 60 gig fixed. I never had one of those 60 gig ones, unfortunately. Um, which was a shame because around about the time I got my PlayStation 3, my PlayStation 2 packed in. Oh no. So I have got, I've re-bought a PlayStation 2 last year now, but um, I didn't get to play any PlayStation 2 games for a good few years. I've still got my PS2 downstairs, but it, it looks so pretty on the PS3. It just looks so nice that I want to try and bring it back to life. Uh, I've, I've pulled it apart and redone the, the heatsink paste myself and checked out the board. I had it reflowed a while ago, but I just I need to get those heat sinks working properly. So I'm going to probably pull out the fan and the, uh, the heat sinks they have now, completely chuck them aside and buy two of those uh, liquid-cooled systems that you can clamp right over the processor. And put the heatsink paste there, clamp those heat pads on, and then I'll either find a way to run the 12-volt power DC to it off of the actual PS3, or I'll get a uh, step-down transformer and voltage rectifier to make it into a 12-volt DC from the 115 that we have in the wall here. And then run both of the pumps. I want to do one cooling system for each chip to absolutely make sure that it's going to be completely cool. And then uh, it should be able to live forever after that. Sounds like a big project to get into at some point then. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've got a a friend that wants to come over and uh, do like a a photo documentary on it. He wants to take pictures and and do some video clips and, and write up everything I'm doing as I do it because uh, he'd like to put it up on the internet for anyone else that would want to try and do it so they'd have a step-by-step. Yeah, kind of a learn-from-my-fail kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a guy We've got a guy that's part of um, Retro Unlim, actually, um, called SmoothMG, and I think he likes doing all that stuff, like fixing computers and um, just doing computers up and things like that. He's He's got a few videos on his as well where he, he does custom custom Amigas and stuff like that. Oh, nice. Oh, I think Mike's going to pop in for a second. Yeah, um, I I did the same thing. I, I basically fixed my um, Nintendo, like, 3DS, and I'm a huge fan of fixing stuff. Like, I've got an Xbox 360 I reconditioned um, that I'm handing over to the little ones, because I've got, like, 
four of them. <laughs> oh, jeez. Someone's a high roller, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, most of it was because, like, I, I got a new one, the special edition, when the Slim came out. And um, I handed over my old Xbox 360 um, to little ones. And then Mum was like, no, I want the new one. So I gave him the new one. Uh, modif- modified a hard drive, so because Microsoft were just they're extremely expensive in terms of their hard drives. So yeah. I managed to find an old 360 gig um, uh, like hard drive that I had from my old laptop. Um, modified that so that it would actually accept the Microsoft programming, installed it into the system, and it works like a charm. Hasn't had an issue. Um, and it, it's literally it's so easy because it's. The the person that did it, they had the encoding uh, file to begin with, and step by step, all I had to do was open up the old laptop, pop the USB in with the, with the code, shove the new hard drive in, format it, and then the code would just lay it, it would be layered on top of the, the hard drive. And all you have to do is stick it in the system. If the system registers it, you're fine. And it just did that. Um, I've done I've done modifications on like loads of different systems. I've got a PS3 myself that I'm working on, uh, a PS3 Slim that's having um, issues recognising the um, Blu-ray drive on the system for some reason. So I'm trying to figure out what problem is on that. Hmm. Um, it was part of a load that my brother got in. He managed to trade um, a PS3 flat um, a fat system, one of the, the early PS3 version ones. Um, for a fat system and a slim, and I managed to get the fat system working easily because they, they said it was a software issue, so I sorted that out. And now the slim, I'm just going through bit by bit trying to resolve it and stuff. But I'm I'm kind of like that as well. I think any person who's passionate about systems and gaming, that you always need to go in and tinker things. <laughs> you, know, you want to have a look at it and say, hmm, what's the problem with that? You know, or, how can I resolve that? It, Anybody who owns a Nintendo, a Nintendo Entertainment System, um, like the the front loaders, you're and you're going to end up opening that thing up at least once or twice, you know, especially with the pins and trying to make sure that the pins go back in, or if you have to put some new pins in the system. Uh, I've seen videos of tutorials of guys who've actually modified the cases and turned them into mini PCs. Amazing. Yeah, I uh, I used to open up my 8-bit consoles once a year, and wipe down the boards with isopropylene on a, on a soft cloth and clean them all off and get in there and very carefully clean off all of the pin adapters and kind of use a small screwdriver to bend them tight again and just really do a good thorough maintenance on them. And then I'd get all my carts and get some Q-tips and clean all the carts out. And it was just a, a spring cleaning kind of thing for me once a year every year. Yeah, and it's the best way to be because, like... Um my my um, brother always says to me as well that everything inside these systems, anything that has a fan-based system, it ends up getting dust into it. It collects dust like no one's business. So you always need to go in there and, and make sure you clean anything up because as soon as the, these things tend to solidify, it could cause a huge load of problems. Yeah. yeah, heat being the worst of it. And for a lot of these modern consoles, heat is the biggest problem. Uh, a lot of them as well, it's because they decided to do things cheaply. Um, if you find when they went from the PS Fat to the PS Slim, Microsoft, um, Sony tended to basically um, scale down on what they were using. 
and a lot of these consoles end up having the uh, what was it the, the red light of death. Yeah. Could easily be fixed because of heat issues. Um, the red rings of death on the 360s. Again, it was due to the fact that these chips were overheating because there wasn't enough pathways through the fan system. Yeah. And they really, if they don't like um, try and, and go the cheap route in terms of the way that they ventilate these systems, things would be a lot easier. It's like with the, the Wii U at the moment, it's got a nice little set of fans in there. I've, I've checked the system itself. doesn't seem to have any issues. I probably might need to end up cleaning it at some point. But I've always found with Nintendo, they've always managed to distribute the, like, the vents and everything in their systems to an extent that it won't cause any issues, whereas the other companies tend to scale back on that. Yeah, I think the Xbox One, having looked at it, and a buddy of mine looked at it, and he looked at a, a physical breakdown of it being pulled apart, and easily about one-third of that system is the fan and the heat sinks. Yeah. So Microsoft learned their lesson from the, the Red Ring of Death fiasco, and they have really, like, almost overdone the heat sink and heat removal because they know it's going to be a serious issue. Yeah, apparently there were some systems, um, and this is only a rumor, but some systems actually came out with um, a leakage. And they're saying it's because what they've done is they've overdone with the, um, oh, what's it called? The, you know the heat sink fluid that they usually put on the, the, the processors? Yeah, the heat sink paste. Yeah. They've overdone it, so it's leaking out of the systems for, like, in a couple of these Xbox Ones. So I want to see if get it clarified. But if that's the case, you could just show how overly precautious Microsoft is actually being. Well, that's, and that's, but to be honest, I prefer that to what happened before with the Red Ring of Death and the massive failure rates. Oh, I went through about, like, uh, six different consoles. It, it was ridiculous, the amount of Red Rings that we had. Um, but I managed to, with my other, my other two, and a uh, touch wood on this one, highly superstitious, that they haven't failed. I, I've had them for years. Um, I've got an elite system at the moment that's in my room, and none of them have actually failed, and it's usually because of the fact that I've kept them in well-ventilated areas, um, and there's no, like, abundance of heat going into that. Nice. I've had an Xbox since um, 2008, and I've never opened it up, looked after it properly, really, and I've never had a single problem with it. It's never given me a minute of trouble. <laughs> well, nice. You are one of the lucky ones, sir. Yes. Yeah, I must just be quite lucky that way. <laughs> well, Tamara got an Xbox 360 pretty soon after they came out. The, the, the original Xbox 360 that we got? No, I've got it for you, for your birthday. Yeah. So the, uh, the Xbox 360, yeah. Um, and she got one of the early generation ones, and it lasted until well after the Slim had come out. And what, what I found funny was that when the first of the Slims came out, I went and bought one of those so that we could have one in my games room and one in the main room where we played our games. And we, well before we had kids, so that we could play together. And I'd never had a problem with the, with the original 360. I disconnected it and carried it very carefully into the games room, 
set up the new one. And as soon as I set up the old one in the games room and turned it on, it red ringed. And it gave me the error code on the screen for a hardware failure to do with the graphics chip. Yeah. It was like it knew I bought a new one and it was getting pissy. It was just like, <laughs> oh, you got that new fancy one? Then fuck you, I'm not going to work. Yeah, F you. Jealous <laughs> bitch that it is. <laughs> That's the funny thing. One of the reasons why I've actually... Because um, I'm, I'm giving them my, uh, my old one, my arcade as well, and put it in a separate room for the kids because they've got the the new slimline system in one room and they want the arcade in the other so they can actually play Disney Infinity because it requires two systems in order to play it on my multiplayer. Oh, jeez. It's, it's ridiculous uh, in a sense, but that's what they want to do. So they can actually log in using one um, Xbox Live Gold account on another Xbox Live Gold account. And I've registered everybody up on that system. It's, it's quite funny that my whole entire family is registered on these Xbox systems. Um, but with the kids, they don't actually have gold accounts, so they'll they'll use um, on one system their mother's and probably on another system mine under supervision. Because I don't... I, I, yeah, it's, I, I've, I've been on these online um, chats sometimes. I think my daughter spoke. She said something using... She was using her mum's gold account, and she was on an online multiplayer session. And she said something like, oh, I love you. And then some guy started, like, freaking messaging her. And the next minute, I was, like, messaging him back, going, hey, excuse me, what are you doing? And, like, oh, I'm just seeing who that person was that messaged me. I said, that's my daughter. She's, at the time, she was, like, four. I was, like, she's four years old. Um, oh, you've got nice kids. And I was, like, if you contact us again, I'm going to report you. <laughs> Yeah. You don't know, man. You don't know how many people are online, and, and especially with kids and stuff, you don't really want to know what they got to when, what happens. When crap like that happens is when I wish I had the skills to be able to trace their IP so I could go over to their door and knock on it. Yeah, I, I'd like that too. Uh, yeah. you know, there, was, there was actually recently a story about a dad over here whose um, kids were outside playing, and his daughter went missing for like five minutes. He was in panic. And then he saw her come out of the house. Um, and he went inside the house and asked, like, you know, um, what were you doing? The guy's like, nothing. He goes, well, my daughter was in your house. What was she doing in your house? He's like, um, I, I just... And then he caught a photo of her. She was fully clothed, but on his machine. He threw the guy down, beat the living crap out of him. Um, then called the police after beating the living crap out of him. The police officer... <laughs> saw the, you know, came down, he was going to get arrested, and saw the files on the system, because he asked the guy, he like, open the system. And he went, it's there, the files are there on his PC. Opened the machine up, and he had loads of photos of people's kids. The guy was automatically arrested. You know, he was arrested, the, the father was in charge, and he actually even put an art, a statement in the paper saying, he goes, it felt so good to wrap my hands around his face. <laughs> and I don't oh, blame Guys like that, I wouldn't even bother arresting him. Put a bullet in him and bury him deep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's nothing else you can do with a guy like that. He's not going to reform. He's never going to get better. He's sick. Put a bullet in him and put him under. Yeah. See, that's too quick. Give him a, a, a slow, painful death. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, yeah, it would be, well, but you see, the thing is, it, it, yeah. I just think they need to they need to be removed. Uh, the slow painful death would be nice, but 
you know, for the expediency, it's a government thing. You know, just put a bullet in them, bury them deep, or grind them into mulch and feed them to the livestock, you know. Or just cut off the genitalia. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> make make we, can, we can bring back eunuchs. That could happen. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do it. Sell them into servitude, cut them off, and then he can uh, just be your butler for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do. I'll just be like, okay. Yep, there you go. <laughs> you could either live the rest of your life like that, or uh, we're going to take you to prison. And you'll learn <laughs> word rape. Or, or listen to a whole episode of Desert Island Games. <laughs> you tell him that he can have it back when he learns how to use it responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> you can have this back when I feel you've matured, mister. Yeah, have the guard just have it around his neck. Just keep it in a jar. You know, that, that's going in the timeout jail, and uh, you can't have it back until you've learned how to use it properly, young man. Off you go. <laughs> Christ. All the Now, I heard a story about a guy who was getting... Uh, and it was like a, you know, our age guy, a dad, and uh, he was playing Xbox Live and he had one of these 13-year-olds that was just mouthing him off and mouthing him off as they do. You get the Timmies out there and there's nah, 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 swearing and everything else. But this guy was a tech-savvy dude and he managed to trace the kid's IP. And it turned out the kid lived like, you know, a couple-hour drive from him. So he got in his car, drove over to the kid's house, knocked on the door, and uh, when the kid opened the door, he just punched him in the face. And he said, that'll teach you not to mouth people off online because sooner or later we'll find you. And he got back in his car and went home. <laughs> See, oh. that's a beautiful story. <laughs> you get a time. I, I played GTA online and I had like this, this kid end up like joining me up online. And I'm playing the game and he's like, asked me to do a mission. And I was like, okay, it's cool. And then uh, a smaller kid he had the smaller kid into the combo, and I just went to him, whoa, 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 whoa. How the hell did you get a hold of a copy of this game? And these kids are just, like, sitting there, like, just talking like they're adults. Oh, you know, I like this, and I like that, and, oh, she's got, um, blah, 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 I would like to do her, and I was like, whoa, stop. Firstly, I don't want to be a part of this conversation. <laughs> Secondly, I don't know how the hell you two got the hold of these games. Right, because this is an 18-rated game. Bastion. Yeah, and I was like, and thirdly, if you say one more word to me, that type of something sexual, because they were like about 10, 7, 10 years old, they were like sexual or something really crude, um, I'm just going to report you. And he said one word, I was like, block. Sent a report, <clears throat> nothing was done about it, Microsoft didn't do shit. Um, but it really irked me. I, I for me, I always believe, like, a, a good parent, you've got to look at what your kids are playing. If oh, you look huge. At, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're going to look at the back of a cover. If someone says to me, if my, my, my little girl said, I want this game, I'll pick the game up, look at the back, look at the rating on the game, look at what, what's in the game, and then make the decision yes or no. They have, the, the games they play, like Skylanders, um, Nintendo Land, the, the Wii U is their, their choice console. That's their console, that's the console that they play. The Xbox, <clears throat> they play rarely, unless they're playing Kinect, or they're watching Netflix, or they're, um, they're, they're playing like Skylanders or Disney Infinity or stuff like that on there. I would never, ever like let them play a game that's gory as heck, 
that has, uh, you know, sexual content or anything in there. Because I know for a fact they're kids. But let them be kids. You know, there's yeah. nothing... I, I don't understand some of these people's mentality. <clears throat> like, over, over here recently, we've got some plonker who tried to buy an Xbox One off of eBay, ended up buying a photo, and <laughs> a bloody day ad. Yeah, and he, and he goes, um, I, I wanted to buy it for my four-year-old son. And for some stupid reason, the papers and computer exchange said, yeah, yeah, we'll give him a free Xbox One. So he got a free Xbox One and a refund. Well, it pays, being, being an idiot pays off. I, I know, it just, it made, I just sat there and I was like, it's not for your kid. You, you wanted to get it with FIFA, come on. <laughs> really? Some guy on eBay bought a, an air guitar once, on eBay. He bought an air guitar? An air guitar, I'm not kidding. That's, <laughs> wow. You know, oh, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Well, I used to work at EB Games uh, a long, 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 long time ago. Uh, around the time the Dreamcast was out and the N64 was, was new. Um, and I'd have mums and dads coming into the store. And I remember the one mum that came in and her kid wanted GTA 2. This is oh, see, PS1 era. Kid wanted Grand Theft Auto 2. And so they brought it up the counter and I looked at the game. And rating systems were out at that point, but they weren't. nobody paid attention to them. I looked at the game, I looked at the kid, and I looked at the mom, and I said, are you buying this for your son? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you know what this game is? No, 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 he wants it, though. And I said, okay, I need to caution you on this. This game is a criminal simulator. You basically shoot people, kill people, steal from them, sell drugs, steal cars, and, and try and climb up a, a mafia hierarchy. That is the entire purpose of this game. Mindless violence, excessive gore, and, and profiteering through legal acts. Is this something you would like your child playing? And she just looked at the game. She looked at her son and said, I didn't know any of that was in it. And the kid's looking at me like I've just shot his puppy on Christmas morning. Yeah. So I was like, Evil. the kid was like, he was like nine years old or eight years old. I was like, There's no way you should be playing. I shouldn't be playing this for Christ's sake. There's no way you should be playing this. And, uh, and so she put it back, but on the opposite side of the spectrum. I had a dad that came in because the kid came in to buy it. And I said, I'm sorry, I won't sell it to you without ID. And the dad came in and he said, I'm buying this game. I said, sir, I can't sell that to you in good conscience because I know you're giving it to your kid. He said, what I give to my kid is my business. I said, yeah, and what I sell is going to go into the hands of minors is mine. I am refusing your service. Get out of my store. He went to my manager and I almost got fired. Because you're doing a job. Because, no, because I was enforcing a rating system that was not government enforced at the time. Therefore, I was refusing business. Therefore, I was losing the company money. Therefore, I was in the wrong. It's still not. That's the, the weird thing about it. It's still not enforced because um, the ESRB rating is only like there to let you know what content the game has. Yeah. And it. It's one of those things, I, I've said this time and time again um, on every single gaming show I've been on, it needs to be enforced. It needs to be at that point because this, these people, these parents are the reason why governments are taking control on how they look after their children or how, like, are giving legislation um, to say, don't do this or social services will get involved. Yeah. 
you know, and it, it it's kind of sad in the same way because I I had the same sort of incident. I was a uh, I was working for Sainsbury's. It was like a huge retail chain, kind of like Walmart over here. Um, yeah. And I, a kid came in, tried to buy, uh, I believe it was Gears of War. And I, I looked on the back, said, sorry, mate, this is what the rating states, you can't buy it. Parent came in, I explained to him the whole process, this is what this game has, this is the blood, the violence, the gore, are you sure you want to give this to your minor? The kid was like, uh, I'll say somewhere about eight years old, and I'm explaining it to the dad, and the dad's just not listening to me. And I'm like, look, you can't, in good conscience, you really shouldn't be buying this for your son. Blah, blah, blah. I want to talk to your manager. The manager came down. He's sitting there talking to the manager, complaining about uh, what I'm stating. The manager's going, why aren't you sending this to him? I was like, do you look at the blood and gore on the back of this game? And the manager was like, well, if we don't sell it, someone else is going to. So put it through. And I'm saying to him, no, I'm not going to put it through. You know, do it yourself. I'm not, I'm not doing it. And because of that, I was cautioned. And they put me into a situation where I could have got... They, they said if I did that again, I would have been fired. That's just, not, really, that's just not a good company to work for, then. Yeah, no, I, I left. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's... Yeah, bullcrap. I mean, that's... I, I was unbelievably offended when I got brought up on the carpet in front of this guy and his kid for refusing to sell them that game. But, I mean, as, as a child, I watched, um, I think I was maybe four, and I was watching uh, James Bond movies with my parents. But, note that, with my parents, they watched everything we watched. When it came to games, when it came to movies, when it came to whatever, they monitored to see what was in it. And they were always there, and afterwards there was the discussion. If it was a, a violent movie, if it was a whatever, there was always the, okay, now, you know that was pretend, right? That wasn't real. It was make-believe. It was like when you play with your friends, because if you do that in real life, you will hurt people, and it's wrong. Like, they took the time to actually parents. Nowadays, parents are so busy going to rallies and waving banners and complaining that the media makes their children into murderers, they're not actually spending time with their damn kids. Yeah. No, and that's the problem. They're not parenting. If you parent properly, if you raise them properly, if you teach them the difference between fantasy and reality, then they're not going to turn around and try and bring a machine gun to school and shoot half of the school down because they're angry that, I don't know, they were made fun of or, or whatever the issues are. They'll, they'll have their head on right, and they'll find better ways to deal with it. But if you just hand them Hellraiser and Grand Theft Auto when they're six, then your kid's going to be a little psycho. When I was at um, a very young age, I watched Robocop with my brothers and, and sisters, but I was a very fragile child. I, I was one of those where you put me in front of something, I'm going to get, you know, shit scared. Yeah. Uh, but my when I watched it with my dad, I remember my dad was sitting there, he had like a sort of a cold beer in his hand. I was sitting in front of the TV watching it with him. And as soon as the scary parts happen, you pause it, you look at me and say, look, what's happening is special effects. He's an actor. These people, what they do to him is not real. It's not real life. And he would just calm me down, he would talk to me, and then he was like, do you want to continue watching this? And I'd be like, yeah, Dad, you know, because I want to spend time with him and stuff. So he'd turn me around, he would like, you know, hold me gently, and he would watch the TV with me. And it was fine. I understood that. 
And they also, my parents, and I, I hold my mum to the highest regard for this, they taught me the difference between right and wrong, yeah. like any parent needs to do with their children. You know, you teach them, you say, that's wrong, and you understand why it's wrong. If my son gets disciplined for something, um, because, you know, they're, they're boys, and they're very boisterous, and they'll go around, like, causing havoc, <laughs> they know the difference between right and wrong. If you're being disciplined, do you know why you're being disciplined? Yes. What did you do? I did blah, 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 blah. Okay, next time, you understand you're not going to do that again. You're his older brother. You know right from wrong. He does. Okay. And we leave it at that. And, you know, they, they, my, my children are growing up with that nice little sense of purpose and the understanding what, what's right and what's wrong. And I'm hoping when they get old enough, they can make those decisions for themselves and say, and not blame it on anybody else. So I had a conversation. I went for a job interview recently, and the guy goes to me, um, you know, I don't like people who blame other, others. And I, he goes to me, I bet you're one of those people. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I always hold myself accountable for everything I do. Because the, the blame always lays down solely on yourself. And I think a lot of people are kind of, that, that's being ignored now, where, you know, you have kids blaming their parents, and their parents blaming the government, and people blaming one another for stuff that goes on, where the, the stop, the, the ball should stop with you. Well, yeah, but we've created a society where if you buy a cup of coffee and then you spill it on your crotch, you can sue the restaurant that sold it to you because you're yeah. a butterfingered idiot. Yeah, it's shocking, absolutely shocking. I, but it's the truth. Yeah. People do yeah. that. The people yeah. people yeah. will purposely injure themselves because there wasn't a sign that didn't say I shouldn't, and then sue the people to try and get rich quick. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like okay, well, honestly, the judge that sanctioned that first case that the lady burned herself with the coffee and said, okay, she gets a settlement out of that. He screwed the entire legal system. And that guy, I hope he's rotting somewhere in hell. Because now all we've got is a bunch of profiteering people that are making money off of being idiots. And, and it screws the system for everyone else. Now you have to have 18 million disclaimers and warnings and, and, and everything all over everything where, gee, if I ordered a cup of coffee, do you think I might get it and it's going to be hot? Well, but they didn't say it all over the cup, so I didn't know it was hot. But what short bus did you ride in on, pal? Yeah, I know. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's, and, and that's the problem as well, is because we've got uh, people, it, it doesn't stop from that, that specific incident. It goes up like you have lawyers who will do anything to win a case. So if a guy is basically guilty, all shots are there for that guy to be guilty of doing something wrong, like... Uh, I think we had a case where a, a guy was guilty of sexual assault um, and they put the person on the stand that he assaulted and they just destroyed her to bits. And you sit there and you look at that person who, who did that, who defended that piece of shit and said, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? Don't you have no morals? Yeah. And I'm kind of, I always sit there and think to myself, am I one of the last people on the planet that does this? But I have this, this issue. I can't keep a job most of the time, like, apart from like my career, of course. I can't keep a, a normal nine-to-five job because if there's a moral standpoint and I have to do something objectively that, that's not very moral, I, I won't do it. I'll yeah. leave. You know, good uh, on you, man, because we need a lot more people like that around here. Absolutely. So, I'm the same way. I am, And actually, your description of how you handle things in your house with your kids... 
uh, Tamara was laughing in the background there because that sounds exactly like our house. We do the same thing. You know, do you know why you got in trouble? And do you know what you did? And do you think next time you should think about it before you do that? And, uh, and, and of course, the, the important one I always got when I got punished was uh, quite regularly, it was, we're sorry we had to do that, but we did it for these reasons. And, and there's, there was an apology, and there was a, but there was a closure, there was an, an explanation. It was never because of said so. You know, there's, it was, sorry. Oh no, I was just to say they they treated us like people, not like kids, and that's a major difference. And it's I think that's that's huge to bring your kids up with morals and with manners these days is is difficult and it's rare. But man, good on you, because yeah. I'm, I'm very proud to hear it, man. It was slightly different. It was slightly different in my household. If I'd done something wrong, the belt came out. <laughs> but but I shouldn't you not to do it again. I had that form. It was like my dad. I had that. That he was very sort of aggressive the way he did things. My mum was more different. She would basically. It's like she was saying to me recently. She goes, "You're so argumentative. If you know you're not, argue so much." And I, I look at her and I said to her, "It's because I get it from you." That's what you're like. You know, um, it, it's like looking to the mirror sometimes because we're both kind of that same mentality. Mm. And, and and with, like, my... With anybody, you sit there and I've always said this, my main goal in life is to change the world. And that should be anybody's main goal. And the only the way you can change that world is by starting in your own home. Yep. You know, you want to raise someone that goes out in society that's a, uh, someone who can deal with what's out there but also has that level of morals on them that can say, please, thank you. If they see someone crossing the road that's, that, that's in trouble or is not able to do it, help them. If they see like a woman um, get on the tube or uh, someone who's pregnant or someone who's not able to, who's there standing there on the tube um, that needs a seat, you get up for them. You know, that, yeah. that little kindness goes a long way. Yeah, it's just proper yeah, and it's just it, it, it astounds me how people are using like um, like today's economy and stuff to act like total tosspots. You know, <laughs> it, it does astound me. It's like you. I, I was sitting there on the on the train the other day, and I'm just like playing with my 3ds because I love to take my 3ds out, and because uh, you get those extra puzzle pieces and stuff just by going anywhere with it. So yeah. I was going to like loads of job interviews and stuff, and, and having my 3ds in my pocket. And this guy was just giving me a dirty look on the tube. He was reading, and the funny thing was, he was reading one of these, like, Bible books. Oh, uh, just getting converted and stuff. He was just giving me, like, real evil eyes, dirty looks. And I just smiled at him, looked at him, smiled, and went back to play my game. And I sat there and I thought to myself, what got you so angry that you have to look at me like I'm the scum of the earth? You know, it's just, it, it's like a little kindness if someone did something nice for you, you'd probably do something nice for someone else. And it kind of gives that whole little knock-on effect that makes society worth living, you know. And that, that fact that people are not accountable for any of their actions is part of the problem. And I think we need to actually understand that we, if someone's guilty of someone, if, if a guy, if it's proven that someone has done something wrong and they're going to go inside for it, don't shorten their sentence done something wrong that person needs to have a sentence that fits the crime if you've got a person that's gone out there and they're they're 
but like a kid hits another child, you've got to pull those parents in. Don't argue at the teacher because that teacher's disciplining your child. Argue at your child because he's done something wrong. Yes. You know, I, the funniest thing, funniest thing happened actually where my daughter did something wrong. She spent a week at school. She didn't do anything um, at school. She was complaining. She was acting up. My eldest daughter, never, never ever done this before. Her mum went to the teacher, talked to her dad, because for some reason their mum, she says something to them doesn't work. I came to the school, the teacher talked to me, as soon as the teacher said to her, your dad's coming down, and I'm going to tell him what you've done, she did, all, she did a week's worth of work in that one day. <laughs> she sat there with a look at her face like, oh shit, the shit hit the fan. I came into school, the teacher told me, I looked at her, her head immediately just dropped. And I was like, you know what's going to happen. Your dads are always more respected, I think. Because my mum used to say to me, she used to threaten me, to like, if you don't stop that, I'll do such and such a thing. But she never ever done it. Whereas if my dad told me, if you do that one more time, you'll get belted, he knew he would do it, and you would stop. So, I think, yeah. I don't know if it's maybe... My mum and dad, but I think a lot of my dads are the same, aren't they? The mums are more softer. I think it's parenting. In the end, if I think both parents can be on that same level, as long as you, you both have to basically stick together on that. If one upsets yeah. the other, it doesn't work. So it's like, if, if for instance, my, my youngest daughter, she has this thing where she'll go to her mum about something. If her mum says no, she'll immediately come to me. Yep. Got all kids. Every child does that. She stopped doing it now because I'm just like, what did your mum say? Mum said it's okay. I said, give me a second, I'm going to call your mum. <laughs> yeah, did you say this? No. Yeah, she said no, so I'm saying no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to be, as parents, you have to be a team. You have to be united. Because kids are, are wily and they're friggin' cunning and they will do anything they can to break those boundaries. Yeah you, yeah, you have that kind of sense of pride as well at the same time when they try it, because you're like, oh, that's cute, but no, you're not getting away with it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, I mean, I've never discouraged my kids from asking questions. I encourage it. If, if you're going to ask me a million questions, good. You're curious about the world. You're curious about life. You want to know the answers. Let's find them together. Yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm the same way. It, you, you've got to basically be that way with them, because if they want to ask you about something, you sit there, you talk to them. You take that time to share something with them. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they My elder son at the moment says to his mum, she's like, I want to stay with Dad all the time. He's like, I want to go to Dad's house. And she keeps asking him, what is it about Dad that you love so much? And he sits there and he tells her, because Dad treats me like a person. Jeez. Shall we move on to the next subject? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yes, we have tangented the hell out of your podcast, sir. I am so sorry. Not at all. <laughs> so we are back on the island. Uh, sorry about that. We had a slight layover in Sirius Town. Let's uh, <laughs> all hop back on the fun wagon and get back over to the desert island. Oh, I feel I feel like the big bad wolf. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it. We 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 seriously went into some pretty dark territory for a while there, and we should tone it back a little bit. So I apologize. Like I said, I tend to wander. So. Not at all. It, it, it's great. I'm enjoying the conversation. It's brilliant. Uh, but sometimes you just need to get back on the subject. Absolutely. <laughs> so I apologise. No, no, it's all good. 
Well, I think we're done with the games. I think um, I think you've picked great games and uh, yeah. they're all awesome picks. And um, if anybody's not played them, then you should go out and definitely check them out. Um, so the next thing... Now, before I get to this next item that he's allowed to bring on the desert island, for, you might not be familiar with this because you've probably not listened to Desert Island Discs because uh, it's a UK show, but anybody anybody in the UK will be familiar. Um, on that show, the host gives the person that's going on, go, going on a desert island, they'll get a copy of the Bible and the complete works of Shakespeare. So I've tried to stick to the, the, the format of that show as closely as possible, but I'm changing it to something more gaming related. So you get a subscription to the Retro Gaming magazine, this is a UK thing, mm-hmm. and you also get this. This might not. This will not work if you don't know the guy. But you also get the complete works of Steve Benway, who is a YouTuber. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but I recognise that name. Yeah, it's when I when I was making the script for this show at the start. I just at the time it seemed quite funny, but <laughs> the the last time I said it, um, um, I think it was Zach. And he said, no, I don't know who he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, well, no, that all works. That all works. So I've got uh, reading material and I've got uh, a little something to watch on the side. That's perfect. Right. So the next item that you can bring yourself is a book. Um, and actually, I think it looks like your book is also tied in with your luxury item, which is coming next as well. But the book is Arnold Schwarzenegger's new Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. That is correct, and that is tied into my luxury item. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, if I have the time, I'm on a desert island. One thing that I'm trying to do now is get in better shape. I'm really working on it, and I've got a I've got a trainer. Um, people people might know him if they're on Facebook a lot. He's a friend of a lot of the uh, community. I know Michael knows him. Uh, a fellow by the name of Michael Yanisito. Right. Amazing guy. Really awesome. A really really good friend. Um, and and an incredible trainer. This guy knows his stuff, uh, but he's trying to help me get in shape. And oh, yeah. so, what I find, I have a lot of trouble with with you know the job and and a uh, wife and kids and you know there's a, uh, not a lot of time. So I'm usually four in the morning. I'm getting out of bed and I'm at the gym at five a.m. so that I can work out and still get to work on time. Yeah. But if I'm if I'm on a desert island then that book is invaluable for, for good workout routines and exercise routines to increase strength, which, you know, I'm on a desert island. I'm going to have to fend for food. I'm probably going to be hunting. I'm going to need to be in good shape. And uh, the, the uh, luxury item, which ties into it, is a universal gym. Yes. So I can read the book and do the workouts. That is, that is very, very well thought out because actually uh, a lot of the celebrities that go on this um, Desert Island Discs show, um, they do similar, similar kind of. They always, they quite often um, have a book that's tied in with the luxury item as well. Like, for example, a lot of them choose like a guitar, but they choose a learn how to play guitar book. <laughs> ah, nice. So that, yeah, that's quite interesting. You've done something something very similar. Oh, well, it just it occurred to me if I'm going to have all this time, then aside from the games. Having a universal gym and a book that'll teach me how to, you know, get all the all the right exercises in and, and and get myself all nice and strong and fit would be excellent. 
Yeah. Yes, I would have to eat lots of scorpions and lizards for the protein. <laughs> uh, Tamara in the background saying, you know, I have, to, I have to eat scorpions and lizards to get my protein count up while I'm working out. <laughs> so you need to go fishing? Yeah. Uh, That's where I get my omega-3s. <laughs> so this um, Arnold Schwarzenegger book has been described as, or it's earned a reputation as, I should say, as the Bible of bodybuilding. It it pretty much has, yeah. I mean, Arnold, uh, for I guess for the younger listeners who may not remember him from anything other than a few movies and being the governor, Arnold was one of the most world-famous bodybuilders. I mean, he was Mr. Olympia, I believe, seven, six or seven times now, and, and Mike is going to be mad at me for not having it perfectly accurate. But uh, I, I believe it was... Six times, actually. Uh, and he was in a movie called Pumping Iron. It was about his final run for Mr. Olympia before he retired. And so he is known as the greatest bodybuilder. Um, and his book is definitely considered a Bible for those that want to get into bodybuilding and, and working out. Also, he was uh, the president's uh, fitness advisor. And he was also one of the earliest uh, faces of the fitness world chain of exercise clubs that they have up here in Canada. And his thing used to be, uh, I want you to commit to get fit, was his tagline when he was promoting health uh, with the government. So he's, he's definitely well-known in, in gym and workout circles. Yeah. Uh, and so that book is just chock full of all of the, the workout routines and the exercises that he used to do from starting up until professional um, all the information you need to know about diet, about protein, about all of it. It's it's just if if you want to know about bodybuilding, that's where you go. Yeah, and you're right. It is seven times. Um, it was the one winner of Mr. Olympia. Because I'm, I'm okay. like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> His final one, he was defending it against Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, he was considered um, the. They would always say that small thing, and they considered him the yoke. Because he was like a big oak tree, he just he he was someone who had everything in terms of the look. He was also very very intelligent, believe it or not. Because um, you know, back in the day, uh, bodybuilders always had that negative stigma that they're all dumb. Um, but he was he was also very jealous of Lou Ferrigno because he got into <clears throat> he had a very viable career in showbiz and entertainment before Schwarzenegger did. Yeah. Uh, he, but he was very clever with the way he dealt with things, the way he made his moves in the industry, and he was someone that, out of anybody who's had like a career in the, in, in the film industry, knew his strengths, knew what he could do. Um, but it's kind of sad that nowadays he's actually considered a, a bit of a pun because of the he tried to sort of break out of the the mould of being an action star and, and trying to be considered an actor, in a sense, because he was doing loads of very comedy roles and, and film roles and stuff, and it just, it, it didn't quite translate. Actually, I was going to say, and I, I might be wrong, I, I might be mistaken, but I'm sure that I read somewhere that he actually tried out, or he got offered the part of the um, Incredible Hulk TV series. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm correct on that but I'm, I'm, I think mm. I said something like that maybe 
I think he was considered for it, but Ferrigno got it in the end. Yeah. And that was one of the issues that he had. But it was so funny, because if you look at like some of the events he did, he was very... He, he kind of had that Muhammad Ali um, presence on stage when he was doing his bodybuilding fitness contest. He would, he would bring a bit of humor. He would bring a bit of entertainment when he was doing his poses where it was something that wasn't seen. It was when that, that kind of industry was considered mainstream. It was considered a sport in a sense where nowadays it's actually considered um, because of the, the, all the steroid scandals and the drug scandals that were going on within the industry itself. It's not really considered anything like that anymore. You know, it's considered sort of a niche field to actually get into. Yeah, back when he was, um, he was he was incredibly. If anyone hasn't seen Pumping Iron, watch it. It's amazing to see Arnold talking back in those days about bodybuilding, about the sport, about his role in it, and uh, he was cunning. He was a very smart man talking about his strategies uh, for how he would win even if there was someone who he felt or knew was in a better position to win he had mind games he could play with them that would psych them out just unbelievable yeah it it was actually quite funny as well because it it was it mirrored Ali in a sense because with Muhammad Ali whenever he got himself into a boxing match he knew he couldn't win he would still be so arrogant and cocky that he would wind the other guy up to the point where he would find a chink in that guy's armor and go at him. Yeah. And it, the, those guys, they would, they would defeat you before you even got in there. You know, they, they had it won from the mentality from the way that they actually could take someone down. Yeah. It's a shame we've not got one of our... Uh, Retro on one guys with his Harry Yak, Harry Yak because he does a brilliant army impersonation. Oh, he does a funny impersonation. Put that cookie down now. <laughs> Just like that. Not a tumor. You know it's fantastic to be here. Thank you for bringing me on the your podcast. This uh, Desert Island Games. It's very nice. I'm very very interested in playing most of the games, but. Uh, I don't like to sit still too much. I like games where I can get up and yell and lift the weights. <laughs> Very good. Right. Fantastic. I, I really like to, uh, to to come on the show. I appreciate you bringing me here to uh, to talk about uh, the games in my book, my new book, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, uh, complete uh, bodybuilding book. There, you should read it. I can't remember my own title. But you need to buy it. You need to work out and get those flabby muscles, big, hard, and strong like mine. <laughs> I think Harry has been out swatching a lot. Now I feel bad. <laughs> right, I'll need to open up the challenge to Harry to come back on the show one day and uh, and prove that he's the number one Schwarzenegger impersonator. Yeah, he's got to win the title back. <laughs> it's an open <laughs> challenge to Harry Yak if you're listening. Alright, Tamara says we should do uh, an episode where everybody's on Schwarzenegger. <laughs> do you know, I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> Get to the Java! <laughs> Welcome to Arnold Schwarzenegger Gaming, where we talk with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Arnold Schwarzenegger about our favorite games, and of course, about bodybuilding, making pizza, and getting to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. <laughs> well, I think we we more or less covered your what's the item in that part as well, didn't we? Uh, which is a uh, universal gym. Yeah, basically, yeah. I'd want to have one that can can be converted to do just about everything, uh, and then I'd be I'd be fine. So, how are you going to fit your universal gym on your little robot? Robot. Well, but, uh-huh. well, I don't know. Well, I, I've not worked out how you got stranded on the desert island in the first place, but maybe you. Maybe maybe it was a plane crash and the gym was in the cargo hold. So yeah, that could that could work. Okay, I can go with that. Just <laughs> say otherwise, it could be that I actually uh, I, I I brought all that stuff out to the island because I wanted to live there, and then I sank the boat so no one else could come and bother me. Yeah, I've not thought that one through yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a magic desert island. I showed up and all the stuff I wanted was just there. It's great. It's like the it's like the desert island in Lost. Exactly. Oh, I hope there's not a big black smoke ring for chain sounds coming out of it. That wasn't my luxury item. Ah, but you're a bodybuilder. You can fight it off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'll just I'll just do lots of squats and power up, and then I'll be able to kick it off the island. Either that, or, either that, or get them interested in all your games. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, then he can take a turn while I'm working out, and then he can switch switch out. It's his set, and I can do games. In fact, the black smoke monster could be the new Johnny. Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't know if it can clank until next time quite well. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's I think that's all the items um, covered. Of some brilliant choices there, I must say. Oh, cheers, man! It's, uh... It was tough. It was tough to choose just eight. Yeah. I mean, eight's, eight's yeah. quite a lot too, but it was still hard. Yeah, it's a strange number as well. But that's I'm I'm trying to stick to the to the format of the thing that I'm ripping off, and uh, it's eight items that they pick as well. So, well, no, it makes for a, it, it. It makes for you know when you first hear it, you think, oh, well, that's going to be easy. I mean, eight, that's lots. But as you go through, and of course, you take the first ones that come off the top of your head. But then you start going over that list and going, okay, but oh, but I didn't think of this game. Oh, would that be more than, you know, and then what about that one? And Oh, and then other systems, because you first start thinking about just one. It it really was a lot to think about. So it's, yeah. it's a tough one, because it, it starts easy, and then it just second-guesses everything as you go through. Yeah, and I was looking at I was looking back at my games, and then I thought to myself, oh, why didn't I see that one? I forgot, oh, I forgot about that one as well. Yeah, you see, I'll probably wake up at about four in the morning and go, oh, crap, I should have said that again. Yeah. And, uh, I'm like that as well. I've got so many consoles, so many systems, that I, I'd sit there and I'd have to figure out. I think the only sure game for me to take on Desert Island would probably be Mario World, just because the fact that I could spend hours playing that game. Uh, but don't, don't give me all your choices, Michael, because you will be a future guest. <laughs> oh, of course. I'll probably change by the time I actually come on the show. Yeah. Well, I mean, with Super Mario World, you could spend hours just trying to get through those levels before the special zone. Yeah, and then everything changes. That's one thing I love about that game. Oh, that was so great. It's one of those, you just watch the visuals and everything again. It's like playing a whole entire new game. I think that's one thing that Nintendo kind of had above everybody else, is that they could actually, they can make you experience the same game, but do it in such innovative and new ways. I think... uh, 
a big testament to that at Super Mario 3D World. If anybody, like anyone out there, I've, I've promoted this, the hell out of this game. I think Nintendo should be paying me a salary for this. Um, <laughs> this game makes you experience every single Mario nostalgia um, that you've ever had, from every Mario game that you've played from the NES to the Super Nintendo to the N64 to the GameCube on this one little disc. Oh, yeah, it is fantastic. That's the the one with the cat suit, right? Yeah, and it, it did it in such a way that I've, I've literally was flabbergasted when I got it. Because I got it for free, believe it or not, because I had some credit. I, um, like, have a catalogue subscription, and what they do is every time you make a purchase, they'll reward you with a bit of credit. I managed to save some credit up, and I got the game for free because of that. Nice. I got it for my eldest daughter for her birthday, it's kind of a sneaky way because I know that she likes like Mario games, and because she had that little thing that where she can play Princess Peach, but I wanted the game as well secretly at the same time. So we Everybody's played, a winner. Exactly. So we played <laughs> together, uh, me and the little ones, and I was going ballistic with the amount of beautiful colours, textures, and nostalgic moments that came in through the game that I was pointing them out to the kids. I was like, oh, there's a level here that's from Mario Kart. It's this stage, and uh, you hear this song, and from this level, this is actually from uh, Mario Brothers and the NES. And you know when they go into the special house, that's from Mario Brothers Free. And they're all just sitting in there going, "What's that from, Dad? What's that from?" And it's it's so amazing. I could literally do a breakdown of every single Mario game I've ever played and feel those moments again just by playing this game. I, I would have to throw my uh, two cents in with that as well. It is for anyone who has even the tiniest inkling of nostalgia about Mario, buy it. Just just buy it, play it. It's so awesome. I love the, especially the, the Mario 2 where you can choose either Luigi, Mario, Toad, or Princess and they have their different jumps and speeds. Yeah. I, I noticed that as soon as I played, started playing, I was like, this is, this is Mario 2. <laughs> this is so, so dramatic. Oh my god. Yeah, when you got Luigi doing his little spin kicks while he jumps. Yeah. And Peach it, can float. It's just amazing how much detail and how much attention they must have put into this game throughout all Nintendo Super's properties. The developers behind it must have actually been sitting there playing through the old games just to get the mechanics just right. Well, and that's the other thing. The controls on it are so tight. They're so good. Yeah. I know that uh, Super Mario Brothers Wii, the new Super Mario Brothers Wii, was the controls were slidey and muddy and they were difficult to deal with. Um, but when they hit New Super Mario Brothers Wii U, that one was excellent. It was back on form with the original NES ones, and now although it's a 3D style like Mario 64, New Super Mario Brothers, or Super Mario Brothers 3D World, tight control. Absolutely yeah. perfect. You always know where you're going to land that jump and, and, and how how hard to push the button and like how where to run and everything. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's actually so funny as well because it, it gives me that whole sense of nostalgia I had with Super Mario World. Because for me, I always said Super Mario World, from, like from any of the 8-bit to 16-bit platforms, was the apex because it got everything that, that Mario Brothers um, up to Mario Brothers 3 had, but it did it so much better. Yeah. Um, and with this, it's taken everything that every game came before it and it's just tweaked it just enough to make you just, like, freaking... It, it, it's like a, a, the weirdest thing I'm going to say now. It's like a game-gasm, in a sense. 
because all your favourite games rolled into one. And it's just so amazing. And, and a lot of people sit there and go, oh, Mario's so boring. How can you play the same game over and over again? Nintendo just, they just know how to do it where they can just make the character fresh again. And well, I think they also, Nintendo does what a lot of companies don't. They're brand new to HD graphics. But for them, it's always been about gameplay and yeah. fun. It's those yeah. two things. Always has to be gameplay and fun. The graphics came later. So they're one of the last breed that's still focusing on that instead of let's make it pretty. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that, a testament to them on that as well, like Animal Crossing. This game, you do nothing. <laughs> there's no achievements in this game. There's no bosses. There's no, um, like, linear-style gameplay. It's literally you're just going around and doing what you do in your normal day-to-day life. But it's so damn addictive. <laughs> You know, and it's, they're the, and it's because they've, they've taken the, the gameplay styling and they've made it so unique and they've made it to the point where you do loads of little things and everything is so rewarding that the game just stands out and it, may, and it just is extremely well done. And when, like, after I had my kids, um, the first thing I did, I remember when my first thought was born was, I thought to myself, right, what's the first console I'm going to buy her? And the first console I got her was a Wii, because I knew I had that sort of attachment to Nintendo, and I always knew that Nintendo was going to be that console for the entire family. Don't get me wrong, they have some very hilarious, they're very funny adult games on there as well, like uh, No More Heroes, for instance. And I, I, I can't stress the story enough of me being caught dangling my freaking uh, Nintendo Wii remote, looking like I was up to something very promiscuous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but with the with that, I you know I really knew exactly what I wanted to get them. When I got them the Wii U, I knew exactly that was going to be their console of choice. And uh, if I had a, um, a game that came out cross platform that was released on the PS3, 360, and Wii U, I would get the Wii U copy hands down um, because I knew they would have a lot of fun. And the fact that this console itself is also cross platform, that you can actually take all your peripherals from your Wii and put it on this console, I think Nintendo have done amazingly well. And it's going to, it's all the way up now. It's going to pick up Steam. They've got a hell of a lot more games coming out for it. Um, and in terms of like the new PS4 and the Xbox One, they're only just building up. So Nintendo, at first I was kind of sitting there thinking, okay, where are the games? But now I understand that Nintendo have actually been very clever with this because now they've got the initial console launch out of the way. They're just loading it up with titles. Yeah. You no, know, absolutely. I'm looking forward to Mario Kart 8 like a, like a mad bugger. I can't wait for that to come out. <laughs> I'm actually mad too because I want that so badly. And I was actually saying to someone recently, I'm going to buy both the DS, the 3DS version and the Wii U version because um, apparently you can play cross-link play. Oh, yeah, I want to see if you can play like five play or something on there. So I've got the kids on the gamepad and the tablet and I'm going to be sitting there on the 3DS. Just like... It's beautiful. You know, one thing I will say, um, Rob, if you haven't got it, uh, pick up a copy of We Fit You, because it is awesome. They've got this little timer thing on it, where you can connect it to the tablet. You sync this little... um, It's like like a a mini stopwatch, in a sense. And it syncs to the tablet. You download your Mii stats onto this little watch. You clip it to your belt, or you put it in your coat pocket... And say so you go out and you do your day-to-day stuff, 
it will calculate how many steps that you've made and, and calculate your calories from what you've been doing in your day-to-day. You can then sync it back with the tablet and it awards you like extra points and unlockables just by using this nice. And it works with the old Wii Fit um, board and everything as well at the same time. So I use it quite frequently for like yoga and stuff. I'll have to look into that. I'll have to check it on it for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great little thing. And I think you can get it on digital download if you buy um, the, the device itself, which is uh, apparently... Um, you can buy it from a special store for like 10 bucks in a moment it's like half off nice uh, I'll tell you what the story is actually because we, we had it on I Got Gameplay on the uh, Facebook page um, but it, uh, it's, it's the Wii Fit Meter and the store that's selling it I don't know um, it's called Thrive it's whom? Uh, the store's called Prize. Prize? Like P-R-I-Z-E? Uh, F-R-Y-S. Prize. Oh, okay. Is that an American chain? Yeah, I believe it's an American chain. Um, but they, they're doing the Wii Fit meter for uh, 10 bucks. It's usually um, done for like 20 okay. So apparently you can unlock a free um, copy of the game for digital download if you actually get it. So take a look. Maybe they've got it on the website. I'll have to look into that for sure. I'll check that out. Yeah. Sorry, John. I'm like taking over your show here. <laughs> no, I'm just um, I'm just sitting back and letting somebody else do the talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rob, what's coming up um, on Happy Console Gamer? Anything interesting? Well, there was uh, there will be a new episode up on Sunday. Even though Johnny's on vacation, he made sure to take care of that ahead of time. So keep your eyes peeled. It's going to be a fun one. And this year, we've got a whole lot of good stuff planned. Uh, there may be a few uh, public personal appearances that we'll be able to announce a little later on. We're still ironing out final details. Uh, there will, of course, be the uh, Vancouver Retro Gaming Expo. For those that are in good old Canada, they have that out in New Westminster every year. It's run by uh, Brian from Game Deals. And a whole lot of uh, our gaming community is up there. I think quite a few of the YouTubers also like to come out for that one. Uh, yeah. So you'll you'll probably see a bunch of us there. Excellent. And I'm planning on doing a fair number of solo episodes this year myself as well. So keep your eyes peeled for those. There's going to be several game series I want to talk about. Uh, not the least of which I've already uh, mentioned it a few times. I do want to do a good solid review of Silent Hill. Because for me, I love that series. I love the scariness. So... Keep your eyes peeled for that as well, and any number of surprises could pop up throughout the year. You never know what we're going to do or what we're going to be up to, so keep, you, keep your eyes on it. Um, also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Are you doing the complete series, or is it just the, the sync again? Oh, no, I think I would do, I'd do the series, um, because at that point, I talked about Silent Hill 2 and our scary games for Halloween episode, but... I really want to be in-depth about the entire series because I think it, it, it warrants it, and it's a series I'm very passionate about. If so. you, um, one of the things you need to do, make sure you cross-work um, like your bits and pieces with a, a, a awesome YouTube channel. They haven't done much recently, but they are amazing when it came to that game, and they're called Twin Perfect. They did a review on the entire Silent Hill series, but the great thing about it was they were so informative they cross everything 
including their adding their own experiences into it at the same time, and also talked about the controversy that came around with the series itself behind the scenes. It was a, an amazing, amazing little um, uh, little collection of videos that they've done. So check those out. Um, I'll make sure I link you the YouTube channel when we finish on it. Of course, it's. It, I'm, I'm so passionate about that game myself because it was actually one of the first horror games that I got, and um, it was one of the experiences I had when I got my PlayStation One. You remember when they they had the the mini little PlayStation that they released? Yeah, the little PS ones. Yeah, I got it with the screen. And my dad was sitting down watching, uh, I believe, because like, he's a huge fan of James Bond. I've still got his DVD set here. And we were in the kitchen, and he was, like, playing. Um, I, I think he was watching, like, one of his James Bond movies. And I was sitting there playing the game. And my first experience was actually with Silent Hill 1. Cause my brother gave me a copy of that to play on. Uh, and it was, like, about, I think it was about 3 in the morning. <laughs> Oh, I was crapping myself. I was literally playing this game, and my dad goes, "What's going on there?" And I'm like trying to show it to him, what's going on. I was like, "You see all that smog, and you see that that noise that's coming on." And my dad's like getting more interested in the game that I was playing rather than watching his uh, his James Bond. He's like, going, "He goes, what happens next?" I was like, "Oh, that you can't tell where the monsters are coming at you." And I, we were like literally just passing the pad back and forth. Uh, yes. where he he looked like he was going to crap himself as well. I've never he loves horror movies. He never gets scared by anything. Silent Hill. He looked like he was just going to have a heart attack because <laughs> of that game. It's it's so visceral in a sense because it yeah. brings out the uh, the the intenseness and the one thing I always say that's great about Japan was they could do it so right because they didn't have to concentrate on jump scares. Their their scares would usually be. Yeah. Um, just the tension, the build-up. Yeah. It's the subtlety. Japan is very good at subtle, as Tamara was just saying. That's that's one thing we appreciate about their horror movies, too. They don't use the big sound cues to tell you something scary is happening. It just happens. Yeah. Um, um, have you ever seen uh, the the first Ring, Ringu? I, I saw that, and I saw the American version as well. The American yeah. version translated well. Yeah, we, we saw them both as well. But in the original, in the, the Japanese one, the very first scene, the girl walks into that little sort of archway that goes from the kitchen to the, the TV room. Yeah. And the camera's looking at her face, and it does that pan all the way around the room and back to her. What I loved about that is as the camera pans, you can, it, it's aimed right at her. It's her standing there by herself. It does that slow pan around the room. As it goes past the TV, you see her reflection. Sadako is standing right behind her with the long hair over her face in her nightie. And then, and, but they didn't do a to tell you, oh, something happened here. No music, no nothing. It just very subtle. Camera goes by the TV. You see the reflection. It comes back around. The girl is standing there by herself again. Is that the one? Is that the, the ring you're talking about? Yeah, uh, the Japanese yeah. version ring, the very first one. Myself and my wife were watching that, the American one, uh, on DVD uh, years ago. And the, while we were watching it, the phone went. <laughs> and I was at. Uh, um, you answered it, so it, no, no, you answered it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, the, 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 as I said, it's with these things, it builds up so much tension um, to the point where it, it doesn't need to be that, you know, show a big scary monster. It's more about it will go for the build and then it will, like, uh, as you said, Rob, with the camera sort of panning round, it, it kind of gives you that false sense of, like, oh, you know, there's, there's nothing going, something's going to happen but nothing's happening yet, and then, bam, 
it kind of hits you yeah. and it disappears and you have that one little moment where you sit and they go what the fuck and yeah. that's exactly what Silent Hill um, did for me as well it was just when when you had the time with the Resident Evil games you're like okay you know zombies 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 with that it wasn't of what was going to happen it was what was going to happen next yeah you, well you're wondering when the next freaking big thing is going to happen and and it just builds and builds and builds I, I, you know, with me, I had to stop playing that game at night times because I was getting to the point where my <laughs> my mind was catching up with me. It was making stuff up as I was going along. Just awesome, awesome series. But any, if you need any help with that um, in terms of research, let me know. Because I love that game. It's one of my passions. I, I may have to hit you up for it because I mean, for me, I don't have. I don't know if I'll be able to compare to that uh, video series you were talking about. Um, but for me, it's mostly just about my personal experiences and the fact that I love the series. So we'll talk, because I would love to pick your brain about some of that, actually. Oh, awesome. Some of the history and background. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful series. Yeah, very well made, very well done. Uh, made Air Raid Sirens the most disturbingly frightening thing in the universe. Oh, don't get me started on that. I remember one time I was playing, my, uh, my ex was basically pregnant with my uh, first daughter, and she made me leave the house. Right, right at night and it was literally a cloudy night I'm sitting there thinking it's like Silent Hill and I had to go my dad's house was like down the road at the time because we are just living just down the road from it was across a bridge and all I started hearing was ah! I was screaming running straight to my dad's house grab her like a freaking jar of pickles ran straight back because she was craving for some weird reason I went, I went straight back to, to mine locked all the doors and it was just a fox, because the fox had these weird sort of childlike cries. Oh, which, yeah. All I could think about was Silent Hill sitting there going, oh, my God. Oh, man. Oh. Well, I mean, we, we had, after we watched the movie The Ring, it turned out the apartment we were in, we kept hearing that, that click. Oh, sorry, the grudge, the one where they had that weird clicking throat noise. Yeah. Our toilet was making that noise. <laughs> but we, we were in the apartment... Yeah. So Vera was in the bathroom by herself, and she got mad at me. She was like, stop it. Stop making that sound. It's not funny. It's scaring me. And then finally came in from the kitchen and said, what? And she was like, ah, what? Where were you? In the kitchen. And she freaked out. But it turned out it was some loose connection in the toilet that was gurgling, and it made that exact same sound. <laughs> I was like, shit out of us for weeks until I figured it out. Oh, I've I've had those things at that moment. It's like, uh, oh, what, what was the other one? Playing Resident Evil. Um, first time I played Resident Evil. You know with the door sound, it just goes... Yes. I kept hearing that. And I'm sitting on the PlayStation. It was a dark night. Everyone was asleep. And all I'm hearing is... And I'm like walking around thinking, who's that? Who's that? I leg it to go and have a look where what door it was it was just like the spare room and what happened was someone just left the window open and the door was just going back and forth and it was creaking oh that's myself I was like <laughs> I'm looking at that door going I, I don't want to touch it if I touch it something behind that I'm going to oh god it's, it's, those moments are so special at the same time and they're so scary because it's it, it's when the game becomes so real Oh, and that's the best part. That's why I like the horror games. It it takes a lot for a horror movie 
to give me the willies these days. It really does because I'm, I'm pretty thick-skinned about it. But when it comes to the games, because you're there, you're, it's, it's a very visceral experience. If you sell yourself to that world, to that game, you're done, man, because it's just so horrifying, especially with Silent Hill, because all the bets are off. Yeah. You never know when those air raid sirens are going to go off, and when they do, you are shitting yourself from start to finish. It, it totally, totally. I, I, with those games uh, in general, with anything, I always find it one part um, due to the suspense that they can build in those games, but another part is basically the story, because you get so immersed in those stories, and it just shows how great the storytelling is as well at the same time. And I think that's where probably where they got, went wrong with the new US versions. They, they, they tried to sort of build on those stories, but they, they had no understanding of how those stories were told in the first place. Yeah, they, they, they weren't as well done, well paced. They weren't as steeped in as much dark. They, you could tell it was the States and there was more gore, but there wasn't as much of the actual dark psychological mess in the background. Yeah. Um, where Silent Hill 2, the first time we played it, Tamara and I, we bought it for the PlayStation 2, we brought it home, and we purposely stayed up till about 1 in the morning, had a few drinks, and then we put it in. All the lights off, surround sound system up, and that walk along the path from the car into the city, where you hear that second set of footprints on the gravel, and the, and, and the weird dog thing that's in the bushes going... <laughs> behind you, just, oh my god, damn near pissed the couch. <laughs> and I like, I put the controller down for a while, like I was walking along and then I'd stop, and then the footsteps stop just that half a second after you do, that was yeah. behind you, and that was when the camera shifted over to, in the bushes, and you, and you heard the first, <laughs> and I was just like, oh my god, I have no idea what's going on. So started doubling back, and then I went forward and went back, and we finally, I just booted it all the way to the town with those footsteps behind me. Oh, man, I'll never forget that. And again, that shows you they set the tone so well, because the pace, as soon as you come out, it's sort of like, build, 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 boom. Yeah. And it just sets you running. You know, you just sit there thinking that you're going to blue and shit yourself, and you need a new change of underwear. Just did you ever experiment with the uh, light and sound sensitivity of the enemies? No. See, when we first got into the apartment building, Silent Hill 2, that's the one where you eventually have to drop the cans down the uh, garbage chute so you can get that item out of the dumpster outside after you get out. Yeah. And one of the mannequins was coming down the hall, and I, I only had the steel pipe, and I was pretty low on health. So I turned off the flashlight and I backed up into one of those little doorways and then I left the controller down and I said perfectly still and the thing walked like three inches in front of the guy's face and just right down the hall, walked right past him and kept going and I was just sweating so like it's just pouring down my face. My pulse was up. I was just like, oh God, oh God, oh it passed by. Holy crap. Oh my God. (laughs) But it worked. As long as I didn't make a sound, so I ended up just tiptoeing away from there and leaving the flashlight off until it was around the corner. Yeah. Never caught me. Living heck. So it works. They're right when they say they react to sound and light. They weren't kidding. 
Yeah, and I, I have to admit as well, that game kind of set the tone for other games like, uh, do you know that Alan Wake? Uh, have you played that on the Xbox? Oh, yeah. That is absolutely directly influenced by Silent Hill. It Resident Evil set the bar for the zombie games. Silent Hill set the bar for those dark, creepy, atmospheric ones. Yeah. And and it, it literally drew its strength from games like that because it, you could tell from every little part of the that the first Alan Wake game, and, it, and it's kind of the, the one game that actually made me want to buy an Xbox 360 because it just starts off where it's, you, you can tell by the mood, you can tell by the setting, you can tell by your surroundings that something's going to happen, but you don't know what. And, you know, and it, it, it brings it totally, totally um, brings the atmosphere of the game together. And, it's, uh, and it, it draws itself from those, those beautiful sort of written, beautiful style types of games um, from these like various franchises. And it's oh, it's just such a shame that now people are kind of migrating over to the first-person shooter type of genre of games, and and people want more fast-paced rather than looking at the the way that these games are presented and going back to basics. You know, it's yeah. I, I I'm looking forward to um, Shinji Mikami's new survival horror, the one that he's got coming out. Um, oh, what was it called? Evil Within. Yeah. That looks, because he's the father of Resident Evil, and, and what we're finding now is a lot of these creators are leaving the big studios that don't give them the respect they deserve and don't let them do have that creative freedom to make the games they want to make. They have to keep churning up the same crap because it made them money, and they left. Final Fantasy has gone downhill since Hiro Nobusaku Guji left. Capcom's gone downhill since everybody left, but um, Shinji Mikami, this is his magnum opus. He said this is his last survival horror game. And this one is the one he's always dreamed of making. And it is it looks like it's even parts of Resident Evil and Silent Hill mixed together beautifully in a horrifying piece of gaming. Yeah, and I I think a lot as well, it's because he wants to make something again that's that brings it back to those those roots of survival horror is really about. You know, it's not about what you can see, it's about what's not present at the start of that time, what, you, what you're trying to expect. Um, but I agree, that a lot, you see a lot of these emergency new studios now, especially because of the new platforms and stuff that have gone on, and especially with the Final Fantasy game, I'm, I know there's a lot of memes going around with Lightning Returns, where you've got her standing there with a copy of the game outside GameStop. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And, and uh, a friend of mine was talking about that recently with him, and he goes to me, why have they made a... Because, you know, they were talking about how bad the first Final Fantasy thirteen game was, and I was like, why did they make a third one? And um, I was actually trying to explain to him that the head of the studio, um, the guy responsible for this, he's in love with the character. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and that's why they've made her... She, aesthetically, she's gotten, like, curvaceous... Your know, boobs have gotten bigger, and you know because he wants to see more of, of lightning. So we're going to probably end up seeing her again in another game. There might be a fourteen or something like that. Oh man! People are crying out for a Final Fantasy VII uh, reboot or just a, a HD version of the game. Yeah, which we'll probably never see. 
And it's a shame, you know. I remember I was actually watching a video quite recently. I think it's one that Johnny recommended, which was GameSack. Um, and they basically um, were talking about how Capcom, in the days of like the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, they always used to make great games. Yep. Like they would acquire same properties as other companies. Like uh, they they acquired some of the Disney properties. And if you saw the Disney, the, the Capcom version of that same game on the Super Nintendo, like Aladdin, for instance, and compare it to the Genesis version, the Genesis version was very clunky, the, the story wasn't right, the, the way that the game was played was, was terrible, whereas the Capcom version, they had attention to so much detail. They had the characters, the detail of the characters, the details of, uh, of the game itself, the mechanics were done so well. Um, you know, even with games like DuckTales, for instance, and... Yeah. Uh, and DuckTales uh, 2 that they released for the NES, everything was working for perfection. They would, they would, if something wasn't working on the first game, they would fix it on the second game. And I don't get how they've sort of steered from being that company to the shell of its former self that it is now. They've, you know, it's, it's kind of depressing at the same point. Well, they strangled all their top talent and then forced them to leave. And now all they can do to try and make money is keep rehashing the same four titles. So if you like Street Fighter, if you like Monster Hunter, if you like Phoenix Wright, uh, you know, you, you're going to get, and if you like the Marvel vs. Capcom, you're going to get what you want. Mm. you like Resident Evil, they're going to keep churning out crappy Resident Evil games. I'm still worried about the fact that Phoenix Wright is only downloadable only. That yeah. If you get it over, I think it's in America and in Europe, you can't get it on cartridge. Yeah, see, they, they, they've stopped listening to their fans and they stopped taking risks. What made them great was that they took risks and they made amazing games because of it, and now they don't. And now they just keep churning out the same shit over and over, and all of their creative team have left. Mega Man is officially dead. It's over, because they, they, can't, they can't do anything with it. Uh, Resident Evil, the county's gone, they can't do anything with it. Like, all, all of their series that started out great are getting stale because they can't do anything new because the guys who made it new and fresh are gone because they weren't allowed to make it new and fresh. So yeah. Capcom, I don't foresee good things um, for them, but a lot of these smaller studios like Platinum Games, I see great things coming from them, and I think they're going to do very well. I think we need to keep our eyes on those guys now, really. Um, quick, quick shout-out, if you have an Xbox One, and if you remember Panzer Dragoon for the Sega Saturn, Get Crimson Dragon. Yeah, that looks like a, an unofficial sequel to the game, isn't it? Spiritual successor, and a lot of the people that made it worked on the Panzer Dragoon series. It is beautiful. I downloaded it last night and started playing it, played the first level. There were tears in my eyes. 